0: Good Tuesday to you. I hope you had a wonderful, long Labor Day weekend. College football is back. That's the most important thing. And what a weekend it was, all the way back to Wednesday. So it's been almost a week uh, since the kind of first in-mass opening here of college football. And what a weekend it was. We'll break it down here in just a little bit. Some very good things happening over the weekend. Some not so good things happening uh, over the weekend in college football. We'll chat with Brooks Austin. One of the good things uh, that uh, you could say was what that game was. Clemson, Georgia, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Georgia comes out and dominates uh, that game even in a low-scoring affair. Brooks Austin will join us, Dogs Daily, on SI here in our number 1. Also, talk a little golf. Playoffs are done in the PGA Tournament. Uh, Rich Stiles will join us to recap that. Also, the Ryder Cup now on the forefront for the golfing world. So a couple of folks to uh, to chat with here on the show. Want to get to your phone calls as well. 912-342-7184. 912-342-7184. Join us. Your thoughts on the college football weekend. Georgia fans, want to hear from you. After that performance uh, over Clemson, college football is back I think the first thing that stands out before we get to the game, fellas, fans back in a big, big way. Every single big game you had, just packed stadiums. You could tell 600 some odd days since people had really been in mass uh, in those stadiums. Lane Stadium, rocking. Camp Randall for Wisconsin, Penn State, rocking. Charlotte for Georgia, Clemson, rocking. Dope Campbell, unbelievable atmosphere uh, there on Sunday night. Just. A true representation of what college football is all about when you have the uh, the full pageantry, all the fans there, and everything uh, going on. What an opening weekend it was in college football!
1: Yeah, it was. Excuse me, it was extraordinary. I mean, it was absolutely extraordinary. You had some great games. I know entering Georgia Clemson, we all thought it was going to be this high scoring game, possibly with the two quarterbacks, uh, J T. Daniels, D J. Uiangalale, and it's this low scoring game where the only touchdown comes from Christopher Smith. A defender, But, yeah, I mean, great to see college football from, from Wednesday through Monday. Last night in Atlanta, you had Ole Miss looking pretty good against Louisville. But, yeah, Georgia Clemson was just tense all the way through. Florida State's comeback to get it into overtime against Notre Dame was something special. Uh, you saw a number of uh, games that went probably the opposite direction of what some people thought. I mean, how about UCLA beating LSU, although Kevin called that one. How about the uh, FCS teams? I think you had a half dozen FCS teams beat FBS teams. Uh, You had just wild results. You had a a quarterback trip right before the first down against Oklahoma, or maybe Tulane would have beaten the Sooners. It was a great weekend and uh, glad to have
2: college football back. Man, I'm, I'm just glad to be back. I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, I you know, miss you guys, uh, you know, last week or some change. But, yeah, BJ and Kevin, I think sometimes we forget why we really love college football. It's not your favorite team. It's how unpredictable it is. As much as we know, the analytics, it could go a total different way. But the pageantry of what college football is, what we love as well. I mean, I you, no, nobody wants to give dope. Nobody wants less to give dope Campbell any credit than, I, than me. But, it was crazy. And Kevin, something we talked about. Certain, there are certain stadiums. If the if the team starts playing well, that home field advantage will take over. Like, and I think Dope, you saw that. But listen, McKenzie Milton is the feel-good story of college football. A guy that was literally saying he could never play football again. And you find yourself rooting for this young man. And obviously you want you want the you want the story to end with a win, but it don't take away from the fact that maybe, BJ, Kevin, maybe UNC ain't as good as we thought. Maybe no the dame ain't as good. I know I know it's week one. I know over exaggeration is at an all time high right now. But college football ruled the day from all the games. Coach O is still Coach O. And Coach O, <clears throat> Gene Chisick, he he might want to take a – because if you don't think that'll happen to LA, you don't think that'll happen to Coach O walking the stadiums calling people names and shirt colors and all that, and you're not winning. So a lot of storylines. But yeah, college football is back. And I don't think neither game, no game disappointed the best 10 to three game you will ever see was Georgia Clemson. I don't, the score and and we forgot all about the offense because that's how good the defense is played. But yeah, college football rule today, man, I'm just happy for everybody involved. And when they showed Virginia tech, when they showed us, it was standing room or that place was packed, packed. But, uh, yeah, man, some great some great games out there, great great players out there. But these storylines, it's already week one, and, and some of these seats are already very hot for some of these coaches.
0: Uh, certainly, and again, BJ, let's keep it right there with Georgia and Clemson. I mean, this is a, a 10-3 ball game. Both defenses only gave up three points. I mean, Clemson's offense gave up more points than, Georgia, than Clemson's defense did uh, in this one. I think the, the what, you, what you look at at the end of the day is, okay, it was a interception game. How does Clemson rebound from that? I think at the end of the day, though, what I take away from it is, look, it was 10-3. Neither offense put a touchdown on the board, but when Georgia needed to put the game away, they were able to do that. When Clemson needed to put a drive together, weren't able to do that. When Georgia needed to put a drive together, they were able to do it, put the game away running the football, and I I think that's one takeaway for me. We say, well, the defense has played pretty even. Eh, they did, but when Georgia needed to do it, Clemson couldn't, stop, couldn't slow them down and get a stop and get off the field uh, when they needed to. Georgia just ran it, picked up first downs, and salted the game away. That's the mark of a good team, and uh, again, one that both Clemson and Georgia now looking to brighter days ahead, both of them, because the schedule for both these teams, uh, Clemson especially, uh, that's about as tough as it's going to get for the rest of the way here.
1: Sure, and those were two absolutely elite defenses. I mean, we already knew that, but to come out and see it and to see the game unfold as it did, was – I'm with you, Ben – that was one of the most compelling games I can remember seeing, and I, I don't want to get caught up in the moment, but I wrote about this over the weekend. That's one of the most dominant big-game defensive performances I've ever seen because it's one thing to go out and, you know, if you're playing Vanderbilt or you're playing somebody you're a lot better than and, you know, hold them to less than 200 yards. But we heard a number of pundits say that if the NFL draft was held today – when we interview these folks, that DJ Uyangalele will be the first overall pick. And this is still a guy that is looked at as kind of the next great quarterback at Clemson. You have playmakers all over the field, and Georgia dominated, overwhelmed Clemson at the point of attack. Seven sacks, uh, you had uh, the, the edge rushers, Anderson and Nolan Smith, Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, Uh, it was just an incredible performance at the point of attack. And then the only touchdown in the game is scored by Chris Smith on a, what, a 74-yard interception return to the house. They dominated Clemson physically. Georgia dominated Clemson physically, and I did not expect to see that. We knew this was a great Georgia defense. That performance, Ben, Saturday night in Charlotte, one of the great performances by a defense I've ever seen in a big game. And think about this. I said this on Twitter because sometimes you have to find a way to win when part of your team doesn't play well. Obviously, the defense was was spectacular, but Georgia did not score an offensive touchdown, had 10 penalties, lost the turnover battle, had well more punting yards than passing yards, and still beat a top-five team who has made six straight college football playoff appearances. That's how dominant that defense was, and it was a, it, was, it was a pleasure to watch.
2: It was. It was. If you love football, if you love this old-school smash-mouth football, that's what happened. That, that's what happened. Like, when, what gets people in the seats is obviously a lot of points score, big, you know, long passes, long runs. The name coming out of this game was not Coach Kirby Smart. It was not Dabo Sweeney. It wasn't venables It was Dan Manning. It was the freaking D coordinator for Georgia because nobody talks about him. Like, nobody was saying anything about him, and he was like, that's just how I like it. And BJ, you Dan I'm Landon, Landon, not man, I'm sorry, giving him a M. But I, I think the BJ sometimes when you when you when you look at college football, we get caught up we get caught up in the storylines, right? The same ones we we add to it and that, but now everybody coming out now was saying, Is Clemson that good? Is Georgia that good? No. It was a really, 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 really good game. And the defenses took center stage. They was like, Look, we gotta go out there and, and let everybody know why we you know why we got we are each, any championship caliber team has to have certain things. Got to have listen. Got to have a good quarterback. Check. You got to have a. You got to have a, a a nice balanced offense. Check. You got to got. You you need to have a dominant D. It's gonna be hard to win without a dominant D. And I think now, because we're talking about the offenses, we're not talking about. I mean, the defense. We're not talking about the offenses at all because there was no offense. BJ if DJU would be the number one pick overall right now. That just shows you how they get called up. And if you are a five star, as long as you don't. Just nose dive, they're gonna pick you because they're looking at your potential. That's how you know the games they matter some, but not that much. They're gonna be talking about what DJU did against Notre Dame, but Notre Dame ain't Georgia. You telling me Georgia and Clemson deep both offense combined for six points? Both offenses? That's about as good as the defensive evidence you're gonna get. And I don't, I don't think either one of those teams expect those defense to play lights out like that. But one team blinked. And it just happened to be the it just happened to be the team from Clemson. Georgia got a big dub 10 it, three. It, it was beautiful football to watch. Not if you love not if you not if you came to see offense, though. But if you love defense, that's about as good as it gets.
0: Well again, BJ, we've kind of been conditioned in this day and age uh of college football. When people say, Oh, it's two elite defenses. Okay, so it's still gonna be twenty four twenty one, right? I mean, even with elite defenses on a big stage. No, this was old school Southern football, ten to three. Uh, And again, you just don't see performances like that, as you said, on that stage. When you have a top 25, top 15, or in this case, a top five matchup, elite defense, sometimes in the late 20-teens and into 2020 with as much passing and things that have come into play, tends to mean if you can hold a team under 24 in a big game, you've done your job. If you can hold under 20, you've done 20 to 17 points, you've done a tremendous job. You hold an elite team to three, you've dominated You've dominated the football game, and I think that's the takeaway there. And uh, certainly Georgia will have an easier time of it this week against uh, against UAB uh, when it's all said and done. And, and Clemson will certainly have plenty of time to discuss them moving forward. But their their schedule, at least after week one, does not look very daunting. Uh, and, and again, these things evolve and change uh, as you go throughout the season. But right now, it doesn't look to be very daunting the rest of the way.
1: No, and, Ben, you said in the show meeting, I mean, could we see a rematch between these two teams in the college football playoff? Uh, Potentially, potentially. But I wanted to ask you guys this, thinking about Georgia. Of course, JT Daniels is a very good quarterback, pro quarterback, could be a first-round pick. But, Kevin, going back to a point you made earlier, you you saw Georgia line up and run the football when they had to close the game out. And if you look at some of the games around week one, it was interceptions that cost teams. You know, you go back to North Carolina versus Virginia Tech – Well, Sam Howell threw three picks, and I think we forget last year North Carolina had two 1,000-yard rushers in Javante Williams and Michael Carter. You're going to have to throw the ball to win. We know that. But did what you see Saturday night make you think that maybe Georgia's best option, at least right now, might be to run the football a little more than we anticipated during spring ball and and fall preseason camp?
0: Why did anybody think differently from that? No, I mean, I'm going to be serious. I, like, you know, and, and, again, Georgia fans be like, well, we got – like, take a deep breath, take a step back, and, and look at Georgia's offense. Where are they strong? Oh, man, Georgia's got five deep at running back. Okay. Where else are they strong? Well, we got some new faces on the offensive line, but they're all big people movers. Okay. Where are they weakest? Probably at receiver because guys are hurt and we're, we're missing guys and got to break in some new guys. Okay. So – is that a team that needs to throw it 35 times a game? I don't think so. I'm lining up and punching people in the face till they stop me. And again, I know people say, "Well, you got to keep them honest." Do you? Because everybody in the stadium knew George was going to run the ball late in the game, and Clemson couldn't stop him uh, and get off the field. So, I, I mean, the the more things change, the more things stay the same for me. BJ, there's certain teams. Why you would even think you're a passing team at this point is beyond me. I don't care if you have Joe Montana out there right now. I don't care if you put Peyton Manning I I, on this Georgia. I mean, serious. Yeah. Put Peyton Manning on this Georgia team. Dude, turn around and hand the ball off 40 times. You got five guys who people can't seem to stop. It, I, and, again, I don't think you make it overly complicated. That doesn't mean you like, never throw the ball, but, I mean, dang. I mean, that is a recipe for success. They did it in a big game against a great defense. Couldn't get off the field when they needed to, and they knew Georgia was running the ball.
2: I think I think what you saw on Saturday, I mean what you saw on Saturday night is why teams lose. Georgia just happened to win. I understand that uh, recruiting is the lifeblood of any program, JT Daniels is a big-time five-star recruit that you got that you got to pluck out of the out transfer portal. But it ain't for everybody, and and sometimes what you said, uh, BJ, yeah, they running the football. But sometimes I want to make it seem like my de- I want to validate my decision by throwing it when well, I are not getting open. And outside of Burton, right? Your number one option is gone. Your number two option is darn that what? Gone. So now it's harder to just jail. People think, man, them Georgia players, they got to be open. It don't happen like that. Everybody's first choice at any, at any level is your best players. Pop Warner, middle school, high school, all that stuff. When you start going to second tier guys, even if they had a top-tier school, that don't mean they're gonna get open. That it just don't happen that way. So I think BJ they're gonna end up running the ball more, and they're gonna say, "Oh man, we got all these players. We gonna run the ball. Look, look, look at the final score. Look at the win column. Cause that's what it really box score watches. If you did not watch Georgia and Clemson, you say, "Oh Georgia beat Clemson. Yeah. Do we? Do people really care how you win? No. They care that you win. So Georgia got the dub without scoring a touchdown, and they won the game. BJ." Listen, you say you throw to you and BJ, you don't throw to win, you throw to score. You run to win to win the game. And that's what they did. Cause when they need to win, put the ball in the hands of the other closers. Maybe you, you listen, you might have a nice starter in JT Daniels. He might not be a closer. And if he's not, don't put him in position to have to win the game for you. Cause he thought that four-game Sample size, like that's the SEC. No young man. <laughs> Saturday nights is the SEC, and you ain't even played the SEC schedule
0: yet. Yeah, it's going to be wild to watch them uh, continue to play out here as we go throughout the season. So much to get to, and that's just one of the storylines coming out of the college football weekend. Brooks Austin will join us in about 15 minutes. Love to hear from you here on this Tuesday. Nine one two three four two seven one eight four. You can give us your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, and love to have you be a part of the show that way. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out. So many big storylines from the first weekend of college football. Georgia beating Clemson. BJ, six FCS teams won over the FBS, including uh, Washington, who was ranked uh, going down to uh, to Montana. That's the most since 2013 uh, there in the first week of the season. So you talk about the gap sometimes between – uh, the FCS and FBS and, and people like that. I mean, sometimes they can uh, step up and get you. It happened six times here in the first weekend of college football.
1: Well, and Ben, you talked about this last week when you were breaking down, or a couple of weeks ago when you were breaking down the you know various levels of football, the – the balance of power, there there are great players, great coaches, great teams at every level. And uh, you've seen programs from the FCS ranks have these signature wins over the years, and, and, and yes, it was absolutely a spotlight weekend for the FCS. And you even think about a, a team in the Southern Conference, you know, playing an SEC team. East Tennessee State, excuse me, beat Vanderbilt, and they controlled that game. East Tennessee State beat Vanderbilt 23-3. to they had a young man in Quay Holmes rush for about 150 yards. Uh, had Steven Scott take a, a fumble back to the house. So yes, Montana beating a nationally ranked Washington, but uh, here in the you know here in the deep south with an SEC team, Clark Lee's debut against East Tennessee State, coached by Randy Sanders, who was a longtime uh, assistant at Tennessee and actually played quarterback for the Vols. Then they they played Vanderbilt and controlled that game for the vast majority of that contest. So there are great teams at every level. And in my mind, the FCS is as good as it's, as it's ever been.
2: I think, uh, I think uh, the FCS uh, always gets a bad rep because people hear, Oh man, they don't play as good as football uh, as anybody else. Uh, okay. Carson wins. Trey Lance. What, what are they playing? That, that's that. Those are FCS, FCS players and look at how they got drafted. I, I just think that sometimes BJ and Kevin, you know, and, and, and I'm saying this, I am, I w- was I like this? Was I one of those guys when I played? Yep. Oh, that's so and so, right? You know, we're not gonna talk about the team that came to <laughs> that came to uh, Florida and beat them in 2013. That's a, that's a total di- that's a total different conversation. No, those things happen because BJ. The thing is, this. ETSU they get so sick of hearing about Vanderbilt in that state. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because this is what people don't realize. Just because just because you were, just because you in the FBS don't mean that you get respect. ETSU is saying. We're playing Vanderbilt. Yeah. We're not going to lose to Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt is y'all ETSU, what? So don't think it don't go both ways. Just because you're in a higher division doesn't mean you get respect. But the, the reason why these teams lose, like Montana, when they beat you bad, people's going crazy. That happens. It's not like it just doesn't happen. So I'm always proud of the FCF level because they always plan for something different. They always plan for the entire conference, not just their teams individually because they always get that bad rep. But I'll, listen, listen, all football ain't good football, cause just because you're in the FBS don't mean you a big time program. Just because you're in a big time conference. Nope, that is not. And sometimes we need to be reminded. Because ETSU from the opening kickoff, they beat the brakes out Vandy. From the from the opening kick, it was not a game, the entire game. And guess what? ETSU go back to being just so ETSU. So ETSU goes, so are we just ETSU? What is Vandy? Like if, if we're just this, <laughs> what are they? I'm just saying. Yeah, that, and again, that was a huge
0: uh, storyline in the first week of the uh, the college football season. I think you look, uh, coming out of it, a couple other uh, storylines. at Ogeron has been mentioned in the first one, BJ. They go out west to UCLA, get beat, and you, you come off the pandemic season where obviously things didn't go good coming off the national championship. You lose to UCLA. You still got the SEC West schedule where obviously Alabama looks amazing after the first week you got some pretty nice performances from uh, some teams out in the west against lesser opponents uh, out there as well so uh, if you're lsu you're already kind of one in the hole and you still got a lot of tough games left
1: yeah i know it was a very tough week for the folks in louisiana but you, you know from a football standpoint you go and play a ucla team that that has really made a lot of progress it appears uh been under chip kelly uh, that that week zero i guess you call it win over hawaii was pretty impressive what they did defensively and then to beat lsu but also beat lsu by double digits i mean that's that's a substantial win and 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 to your point kevin i think there there have always been fans i guess who have looked at the ed orgeron hire and said yeah maybe a good coach maybe not a great coach although he has a national championship and undefeated what you know one of the best seasons we've ever seen but i think now those people who wanted a a different coach when the change was made are, are kind of looking going, wait a second, we just lost to UCLA. And then to your point, Kev, we still have Alabama. We still have A&M. We still have, oh, by the way, Auburn looked pretty darn good over the weekend. We still have Auburn. How about Ole Miss last night? We still have them. We still have Florida who rushed for 400 yards on Saturday. I mean, it's a, uh, it's going to be a tall task for LSU and listen they still have good players KeSean Boutte had three more touchdown pass uh, catches Max Johnson to Kayshawn Boutte one of the top playmaking tandems in the country but you got to find a way to stop people you got to find a way to run the football and LSU struggling with that last season now carrying into this season
2: Yeah and BJ something we talked about last year when you look at their when you look at their defensive back they might have arguably the best two defensive backs in the country and it really doesn't matter like I don't I, they was kept, they were killing LSU with those cross runs, right? And the thing is, the entire the entire uh SEC Western division is getting better. I mean, AM look good, even though their quarterback got to work on their uh, you got to work on his um uh, turnovers. Back round might be the best quarterback in the SEC, not named Bryce Young. I think if I'm LSU, I should be I would be very, very nervous about Auburn because the one thing they did not want Bo Nick, and I know it's one game, he was efficient with the football. And they still running the ball. They still so they got balance. So if you LSU, I I I look at the uh, coach Ohio and say this: Did Coach O just have such a great team in 2019 that even he couldn't mess that up? Because that team is historic. Because he ain't because all SEC scheduled last year. And I know Max Johnson. That's another story. Oh my God, he looked out of Max Johnson did something I've never seen yesterday. Max Johnson was getting sacked and he's facing away from the defense And he takes the ball and he just flings it. To the left, and every the announcers were like, "What?" Sometimes, sometimes the, the uh the atmosphere, sometimes the stage is too big for these guys. We just we look at certain performances like, "Oh, he got to be ready. Got to be ready." I kept telling you, BJ Miles Brennan would have probably beat out Johnson for that starting job <clears throat> because Brennan lost a job because of injury, not because of performance. But Coach, oh, I'm telling you, he should not feel comfortable because he's talking trash, and you coming off <laughs> a five and five season. And once again, just like ETSU and Vandy, freaking look, UCLA, they dominated LSU. They dominated them. So, hey, Chip Kelly is playing with a different with a different edge because he hasn't really lived up to his contract thus far. And Coach O, he should not feel comfortable because just because you're gonna get your money don't mean you're gonna be LSU head coach while you get.
0: Yeah, and that's just some of the storylines, including the entire conference. The ACC having a pretty rough go of it uh, in week number one. We'll spend a whole segment on that later in the show. But when we come back, we're talking Georgia and Clemson with Brooks Austin. Dogs Daily on SI. He'll help us break it down next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. Coming off a big weekend of college football, our next guest is uh, breaking Georgia Clemson down from, uh, from every possible angle. Does a great job with it. Dogs Daily on SI. Brooks Austin joins us here on 3 and Out. Brooks, welcome. How are you?
3: I was actually listening to you just, you know, in the last segment. And I think there's one thing you failed to mention about these mid-majors. With the new one-time transfer rule. Power 5 retreads are no longer going to the Valdosta states of the world, the West Georgias of the world. They're going to the East Tennessee states of the world, and they're getting immediately eligible and playing in Division One schools and getting access to Division One scholarships. That's the main difference with these mid-majors. If you look at UAB right now, they got five or six of these Power 5 retreads that are now starting for them this year for the Blazers. That's the biggest difference right now with mid-major football.
0: All right, uh, well, following up for that, obviously there was a big difference uh, defensively in what Georgia did. Where did it all start for, for Georgia there on that defensive side of the ball? As People were saying one of the most dominant uh, performances they've seen from a Georgia defense from start to finish in quite some time.
3: Yeah, certainly a, a dominating performance up front, right? That front, save, front seven between Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt, especially on the interior, they really manhandled uh, Clemson's guard to guard. But they also had a really favorable matchup on the outside with Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith. You saw those guys get after uh, the quarterback as well. But the thing that I was most impressed upon, upon rewatching, right, going back and grinding the tape just a little bit, Georgia had no fear playing cover one, cover zero, man to man, outside on the outside. I know we talked all offseason about how this defensive back group's rebuilt, right? They're retooling back there. Georgia lined up and played more man to man than I'd seen them play in the last, you know, six or seven football games as if. They didn't have a bunch of new starters back there in the back end. They had zero fear in that football game Saturday, at least defensively, in the way in which they called their schemes. It was rather impressive to watch, but it all boils down to that front seven, man. They absolutely manhandled Clemson and dominated this football game as everyone saw on Saturday night.
1: Brooks, talk about these linebackers. When you look at N'Kobe Dean and Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson and these guys able to rush the passer, able to be equally effective in, in in run defense, they can drop in coverage. Just how good is this group of linebackers? Yeah, I used to never classify guys like Adam Anderson as outside linebackers. I always used to classify
3: them. Or linebackers in general, I always thought they were edge rushers. I would still classify Nolan Smith as that. I mean, he dropped into space every once in a while, but – I was relatively surprised to see how much they were actually dropping Adam Anderson. So if you want to give him that outside linebacker label, I'll give it to him. But let's talk about N'Kobe Dean, Clay Walker, and Channing Tindall most importantly. They, being Georgia, definitely identified uh, an issue with the offensive line protection for Clemson. They were blitzing Nicobe Dean into backside A-gap to the running back side almost every down they possibly could in passing situations and he was walking through unevaded. I mean, it was, he was barely blocked at all, all night long. He ended up with two sacks and a couple more quarterback pressures as well. So he played exceptionally well, but I thought based off what I saw and what I rewatched, it was very clear to me that Georgia had identified something in the pass protection schemes of Clemson to allow that free rusher to just blitz and not get touched. And when I say not get touched, I mean not get touched. The dude did not get touched all night on any blitz he ever sent, and he got home twice, and that's, that's, to, no, that's to no surprise. But, I mean, they're extremely deep at inside linebacker in specific. Like, guys like Rian Davis and, and Tresman Marshall uh, and, and even Smaa Mondon, they might not play this year, barring some type of injury. And I think all three of those guys could probably play at just about any program not named Alabama in this country. So they're extremely deep, they're extremely athletic. And Lord, are they experienced at this point? They got three guys in, in Quay Walker and and Channing that have been playing for a really, really long time. They may not have been starters for a long time, but they've been playing college football for a good minute.
2: And Brooks, obviously, coming going into this game, it was, all, it was supposed to be all about both offenses, uh, Clemson and Georgia. But you talk about this Georgia defense and the scheme, like – I mean I mean I mean one thing about it is I mean you understand that when you when we talk about the linebacker we talk about that front seven talk about those guys playing man to man coach landing and him being able to call up a scheme to say look this is what we're going to do and how much more dangerous does it make a Georgia team it's Obviously, it's one game but how much more dangerous does it make them knowing that even while we giving the, the the offense, the chance to find, you know, their identity, you got to deal with us, you know, on defense. And and we can hold a team like Clemson, to, forget the 180 yards, two yards rushing the whole game, how much how much better are those guys going to be five six seven ten 10 weeks from now?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely even still room to grow defensively. Uh, but here's the thing, Ben, and, and you guys know this as well as I do, no matter how great your defense is, right, even if you're the 85 Bears, there's going to be that one week. Or you might not have it. There's, there's going to be that one week where the opposition schemes you up really, really well and puts up a handful of points. It's In college football nowadays, if your offense can't score with the opposition, you're going to be in big-time trouble. So you still have to find some semblance of an explosive offense if you're Georgian. I think they will move, you know, approach that closer and closer as the season progresses. But, I mean, absolutely. You go play the number three team in a neutral site, and you hold them scoreless, I mean, you keep them out of the end zone, rather, um, and you make a quarterback like D.J. Uliangole look rather spooked for a, a large majority of the football game. You pressure him uh, a, a dozen times. You sack him a half a dozen, seven times. I mean, good Lord. It's, it's about as good of a, a performance as you possibly can have. And, like I said, I still think there is room to grow. Getting a guy like U.A. Ringo a little bit more experience so he's not panicking when the ball's in the air throwing towards him. Getting guys like Amir Speed some more experience, even though he's a senior, uh, and got his first career start this past week and, and getting some, uh, you know, continuity in that back end. I, I was really impressed with the with the way a guy like Latavius Bernie played on Saturday night as well. So there's still a lot of room to grow even after a performance like that defensively. So you're 100% right right there, Ben.
0: Brooks, let's look at the offense because I know people will say, well, they only scored three points in, in against a great defense. I get it. But it's still when the game mattered. BJ and I talked about this earlier in the show. When the game mattered, Georgia lined up. Everybody in the stadium knew they were going to run it, and Clemson couldn't stop it. Uh, At the end of the day, is that not the bread and butter, no matter how much people want to get enamored with JT Daniels and his throwing ability? You have five guys that can run the ball in a huge offensive line. Why not just have that be the game plan of the identity and say, we will throw off of this, uh, and that will be successful?
3: I mean, that's that's football in general. If you cannot successfully complete a four-minute drive and a four-minute offense, you're not a good offense. That's point blank, right? It's situational football. I mean, if you're great at situational football, you're going to be a great football team. Georgia showed Saturday night that even when everyone in the the stadium knows with four minutes and 53 seconds left when you get the ball back, that you need three first downs on the ground to win that football game, and you do it, you shove it down their throat, you rush for 40 yards on about seven attempts, and you milk the clock and it's game over. That's an, that's an attitude, that's, that's, a, that's a culture of what you built during camp, and that's a response to the situation that you needed as an offense. So, yes, would you like to be a lot more explosive? Yeah, everyone would. But when they're dropping eight and they're dropping seven every single down being Clemson on defense, well, yeah, the game plan was to check it into the flats and hope that your wide receivers can execute some open field blocks. And guess what they didn't? So JT Daniels goes 22 for 30 and throws for 135 yards. And averages six yards per completion. It looks piss poor on a, on a box score, but the fact of the matter is, you executed the game plan, which was protect the football, lean on our defense, get out of here with a W. And when we need it, we got to shove the ball down their throat. That's exactly what Georgia did on Saturday night, and they came away with the victory because of it 100%.
1: Uh, Brooks, just with a follow up there, you talk about Daniels and his stats, and I know we've sort of been uh, conditioned to expect 300, 350 yards every week from these guys, but how much is JT Daniels going to have to kind of ebb and flow with the season where, and granted you're not going to face anybody quite like Clemson, but where there may be games where you check down and there may be games where you're throwing it all over the place like Mississippi State, and could we see the numbers kind of fluctuate because of that? You
3: know, I, I think it's it, it's indicative of JT, but to me it's most indicative of your offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin, right? He is what I've always called a chameleon coordinator. He will blend and bend to whatever it is that he needs to do to win. And I didn't mean to make all that rhyme. But what I mean by that is whatever offensive personnel that he's got, whatever skill set he has, whatever players he has, he'll develop an offense for that. And And to add on to that, whatever defense he's facing, right, whether it be Mississippi State sending eight and playing cover zero behind it, Yeah, he might run for 20 yards in that game, but he's going to throw for 400 because you're stacking the box. Same thing against Cincinnati. They wanted to stack the box, so his quarterback threw for 400 yards. Take a look at the South Carolina game last year. They wanted to take an approach similar to the way Clemson did. We're going to rush four. We're going to drop six. We're going to drop seven. We're going to drop eight if we have to. We're going to keep everything in front of them. But JT throws for 220 yards, and Georgia runs for 280, I believe it was. So, that was the difference, right? Clemson had a front seven to keep you from running for 190 yards. But you ran for 125, and you ran for yards when you needed to do it, and that's why you won the football game again. Your offensive coordinator is going to blend and bend with whatever it is that the opposition is trying to do to him, um, and he's going to go about his offense in the most effective way based off what he's getting in front of him. He's not going to play bully ball and run his head against the wall if he doesn't have to. He doesn't have the skill set, especially on the outside right now, try to do that when you're dropping 8 He's not just going to say, oh, you're dropping eight. Well, guess what? My four wide receivers and my quarterback are better than your eight. That's, that's not the game plan right now. He might be like that more as the season develops and as these wide receivers get healthier and a little bit more experienced. But Saturday night, that was not the way to win that football game.
2: And, Brooks, I mean, uh, a lot of people consider this the greatest uh, defensive effort uh, they've ever seen in Georgia football history. Where would you rank this? As far as Kirby Smart's big wins, what would you rank Saturday night?
3: I mean, uh, apart from the Rose Bowl, right, the, the 2017 Rose Bowl, that, that had a lot more stakes. But, I mean, that, that is the biggest win he's had. He lost LSU in the 2019 SEC Championship game. He lost Alabama in the 2018 SEC Championship game. He lost Alabama in the 2017 National Championship game. So th- th- there is no bigger game in terms of, hey, we're, we're facing a top-five opponent right now. We've got to win this football game to make sure we're on the right path the rest of the season. Yeah, the, to me – I mean, personally, and, I, and again, it's a, the it's a opening game of the season. There's still a lot of football left to be played. But in terms of the resume, what is the, what is the biggest win that he's had? That, that, to me, is the biggest win that he's had. He's, I mean, no offense, but he's lost. Like I said, he's lost all the other big ones. I mean, the LSU game, that's why everyone was, was cracking on him. I honestly think that's why Clemson was the favorite going into this game for no reason. They had no reason to be the favorite. Look at that offensive line. That was Going in on paper, you knew they were going to get dominated. You didn't know it was going to be that bad. But Clemson's still the public favorite by almost three points. Why? Well, because the the public narrative is that Clemson wins these games. Georgia does not. So Saturday was a little bit of a step in the right direction of, hey, maybe Kirby Smart can get his football team ready and and can go into halftime leading a football game and finish the game out when they need to, even midway through the fourth quarter when momentum seems to be swinging towards Clemson. They got off the field when they needed to, and they drove the ball down the throat for the Tigers when they needed to. Those are things that Georgia has not been able to say over the last four years. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but that those are the facts.
0: Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com. Brooks, finally, before we let you go, what do you want to see get done this week? Obviously, UAB, that's not the same stakes as what you just played against Clemson. But we just talked about some things that you'd like to work on. What does Georgia need to get accomplished this week in the UAB game?
3: Yeah, you got some questions to answer, and especially with... Uh, Tate Ratledge being down, you got to figure out who the heck is going to be your right guard and vice versa, and, and subsequently who your left tackle is going to be. But guys, I, I'm here to tell you, this UAB team—I mean, they are they they are a mid-major football program, but they're good. Okay, they average six four, three hundred fifteen pounds across the front on the offensive line. They got a junior quarterback that's very, very experienced. Their defensive line averages six—or excuse me—goes six one, three hundred, six five, two sixty five. 6'5", 265, and six seven, two seventy. This ain't your regular old mid-major program, okay? This is a football team that you're going to have to show up and play against. And to me, that's what I want to see. You come off a big win, right? You come off a high of, a, of the biggest win you've had in a, quite a long time at the University of Georgia. History shows you that every once in a while, under Kirby Smart, and especially under Mark Rick, Georgia shows up flat. I want to see if Georgia shows up first quarter and punches these jokers in the mouth. That's what will tell me that, okay, this football team is what we think they are. This football team is mature like we think they are. This football team did return, what, 11 or 13 juniors from a year ago that came back for this specific season. That's what I want to see. All the other stuff's fugazing to me. They still got some answers to our question to answer, but to me, it's a cultural question. Do you show up when you need to? Do you handle business like you're supposed to come Saturday?
0: Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com. Our guest, Brooks, appreciate the time. Thanks much. Put out, gentlemen. We'll talk to you next week. Will do. Uh, Dogs Daily on SI is where you can find Brooks breaking it all down and UAB coming up this Saturday there in Athens. We'll come back with more. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. It's 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Love to hear from you here on the show. 912 342 Seven one eight four nine one two three four two seven one eight four. You can also uh, hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio at Pigskin Radio. We'll get to take three coming up next hour. Also recap the uh, the bad weekend that was in the ACC. Uh, BJ and Ben, where they did not have a win of significance uh, the entire weekend outside of the conference. So uh, we'll talk about that coming up in hour number two as well, including obviously uh, Jeff Collins uh, losing to Northern Illinois, twenty point favorite at home. They lose on a uh, converted two-point play with about 30, 40 seconds, something like that in the game, and lose their season opener.
1: Yeah, that was a disappointing opener. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, preseason expectations were high for Georgia Tech. Certainly, you can play your way back into that mindset, but uh, Jeff Sims got hurt. You understand that happens. Uh, You wish him the best with the recovery, but you give up the late touchdown, the late two-point conversion, and I don't think that's the way Georgia Tech envisioned with Coach Collins starting off the 2021 season.
2: It's going to be a long one, Kevin, but we'll see what happens. That was rough. Yeah, that was uh, that
0: was one. I think if you're a Georgia Tech fan, was one of the winnable games uh, there on your schedule. Now you still got what five, six, top fifteen games left on your schedule. Not a uh, an easy road left to hoe there. We'll take three right around the corner. We'll look at the weekend that wasn't in the ACC next hour as well. Talk some Georgia Southern Gardner Webb here on three and outs. The Southern Pigskin Radio Network stream. Hour two, three and out on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. We're talking. College football this hour as uh, the ACC, the weekend that wasn't for them. We'll get to that uh, coming up here on the show. Look at Georgia Southern. They almost let one slip away uh, there against Gardner-Webb. A lot of that happening this weekend around college football in week number one. We'll get to that. Rich Stiles will talk a little golf with us coming up, uh, as he does on Tuesdays with the Ryder Cup coming up. Also, the FedEx Cup playoffs ending this past weekend in Atlanta, Atlanta was kind of the sports hub. There, two big football games plus the uh, FedEx Cup Championship there at East Lake in Atlanta. But that being said, it's four o'clock. Let's take three here on three and out. All right. I know this is all important, fellas. But after one whole week of college football, who is your, who is your current Heisman favorite?
1: Yeah, uh, and and look, the conversations are starting. I think it's Bryce Young and. You may say, "Well, that was one get." Well, that's what we're talking about here, and and it doesn't matter that, that he hasn't started until Saturday. What he did was set records, and I know we've kind of grown accustomed, right, to Alabama just winning every big game, and Alabama's quarterbacks, when you think about Mac and Tua and Jalen Hurts, just 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 doing incredible work. But just because his predecessors were elite, doesn't mean you view his production any differently. Bryce Young became the first Alabama quarterback ever to throw four touchdown passes uh, in, a, in a starting debut. He did that against a Miami team that was ranked in the preseason top 15, and he he broke a tied record held by Mac Jones and Joe Namath. So you think about what Bryce Young did. I mean, looked extremely comfortable. Sometimes when you have a young starter or you're making your first start, there's some nerves. Didn't see that. I saw a lot of beautiful passes great touch on downfield throws, excellent in the red zone. Uh, You know that they're going to be in big games. They're going to win big games. Bryce Young's going to be there, and after week one, guys, he might be the clear favorite uh, one weekend when you talk about the Heisman Trophy.
2: Yeah, Bryce Young is the easy answer here. I mean, BJ, for everything you just mentioned, and you know, sometimes we forget the fact that guys want to keep elevating that, you know, that uh, that quarterback standard that's already been left by guys as you just mentioned with Mac Jones and tour and Jalen. But Bryce Young it under the bright lights—I mean, you know that was going to be—you know that both of those sidelines are going to be star-studded. Nobody shows love to for their former team like the Miami Hurricanes. You know that sideline was star-studded, but he's a freshman understanding what he—he he understands what the standard is—not just at the quarterback position. But Alabama, like people just expect Alabama playing plug. Play him, plug him, should be able to keep it going. But 244 yards to four touchdowns is a great game for anybody. He just happened to be Bryce Johnson, yes. Bryce Johnson for one week, Kevin, one week. He is a clear-cut favorite. If you will be the number one pick, he will win the highest. <laughs> if the highest. out after week one.
0: Yeah, certainly a big performance there. Moving along to take two. Where does the win over Clemson rank in your estimation in the Kirby Smart era?
1: Good question. And I do think it was a statement win. Not only that you won, but but how you won, right? Because you dominated a a modern-day dynasty physically. I mean, you kept them out of the end zone. Uh, You scored a defensive touchdown yourself. You won on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I understand the offensive production was not there. But, Kevin, you made this point a couple of times. You had to close the game out and win the game by running for a first down. You were able to do that against the best defensive line in the country, although maybe Georgia has the best defensive line in the country now, but one of the best defensive lines in the country in a situation where everybody in the building knew what was happening. And your offensive line, even with some injuries, came through. So I think that's important not to look over, but the way you dominated Clemson physically, nobody outside of maybe, maybe Alabama has done that, and I don't even think they've done it to that extent. I'll say number three. I think the biggest win for Kirby Smart is the Rose Bowl. You won in the college football playoff. You outscored the, at that point, record holder for passer rating for a single season in college football in Baker Mayfield, and you advanced to the national championship game. Number two, I'll go the SEC championship game where you beat Auburn. Uh, This one might feel like a bigger win because – Clemson was number what two or three in the country but I do think beating Auburn and advancing to the college football playoff and getting that ring that that SEC championship ring that's history right there so huge win Um, I would go SEC championship game over that win in part because it's week one you know we'll see what happens in the weeks to come but I would go one Rose Bowl two SEC championship game win over Auburn and the win over Clemson number three for Kirby Smart.
2: I would, go, I would go Rose Bowl 3. I would go, I, would, I mean, I'm sorry, I would go, uh, yeah, Rose Bowl 2. I would go Notre Dame 3. I, I think this might be his best win. Because the whole thing about this, DJ, is this. The thing about Kirby Smart is he's always playing for something different. Like, if, could you imagine, had he lost this, what would we would be saying? See, I told you, I told you, I told you. Kirby Smart understands I have to update my resume every single game. And the bigger the game for Kirby, the more that people are gonna be watching. So, Kirby was on the winning side of this thing, so for me, I'm not taking nothing away from the Rose Bowl because it propelled you to the national championship. I'm not taking nothing away from the SEC championship either, but it's something about who you do it against. You were expected to win in the Rose Bowl, you just didn't play that well the first half. Nobody expected you to win the national championship, and it's about winning the game when nobody expects you to win. Nobody expected you to win. I mean, uh, you know, against uh, Notre Dame at Notre Dame, and you won it. Nobody expected you to win against Clemson. Like you said, PJ. going into it, without Georgia had the better, I mean, Clemson had the better people's line. So I would go, it's his best win for what it means. Recruiting, all right, boom. Visual, all right, boom. And it keeps you in line to do everything you want to do postseason. Now, if he wins the netty, Clemson, his game goes down number two. But for me, I think it's his best win because I think it's what it says. It's like every time he plays a primetime game, usually he's on the losing side of it. This time, he found a way to do it with no offense because, you know, we look back at history, you look at some of these great, Tua got famous against Georgia. That's, that's how he got famous. You know, so I think that, for me, I think it's his best win because he did it against Clemson, the perennial powerhouse not named Alabama, and it, keeps, and it keeps his postseason aspirations alive. And he did it against quality competition because when you beat people that you're better than, no one cares. If you beat somebody who's better than you, everybody cares
0: i obviously put in the top four, probably, uh, for, for for Kirby Smart. Uh, certainly the Rose Bowl, one of the great ball games we've ever seen, and Georgia came out on top of that one. Uh, I think that's obviously number one. I think the Auburn SEC Championship win, because Auburn had just beaten them, what, a couple of weeks prior, and a lot of folks thought, well, maybe that was it. Then you get a chance to go up against Auburn again in the SEC Championship game and got revenge, and I think that was a huge answer. i put this one right there behind that one. Uh, Because, again, it was the first week of the season. It was a big game coming out of hype. But I I think in terms of import and the weight it carries, those other two I think were a little bigger uh, in my estimation. All right, moving along. Take three. Uh, We're trying to figure out about protocol here Uh, moving forward. Did Cam try to jinx Georgia uh, this weekend? I I will say this. Cam sitting right next to me, but Christian got very mad uh, because uh, in a group text, Cam was like, man, Georgia's looking good defense looking good in the middle of the game. Did Cam break protocol and is he trying to jinx the Georgia Bulldogs?
1: It's always tough to talk about a game with your favorite team when it's going on. You always want to be really careful. I think it's okay if you want to say, hey, we stink or we can't do anything. But if you're playing well, you don't want to discuss that. It's like the no-hitter, right, Kevin? In baseball, you don't want to discuss it. And, you know, we have a group text on on Saturday where we're talking about games. And depending upon the comfort level of each individual, you don't reference the game that they're watching. You don't talk about, you know, this person's team, that person's team. Uh, it, it it just depends on the rules, but yeah, Cam. I mean, that's that's kind of nerve wracking when you talk about hyping something up or you know, saying this is going well or hey, I, I feel good about this. I mean, Ben, you don't even watch your team. Go I morning. mean, so 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 Cam, hey, it worked, it worked. But sometimes with the protocol, you got to be careful depending upon what's
2: happening. No, Cam didn't jinx it. Cam just didn't know. Like like now he won't. Now Cam, you won't get a second. You know opportunity like Cam, because this is the thing that it's going back and forth back and forth back like when pj be talking about his favorite team it's all negative right i'm not even going to talk about my team because i'm not watching so you're not allowed to say anything about my team but cam knew that he said something wrong with everybody with cam what did you, isn't it crazy that we talk about there are no jinxes there are no hot there are no there's you know, not i mean there are no superstitions. Yeah, yeah. You want to know if a person superstitious? Say something about their team. They, they will turn into a total different person because only people who really love something only want to hear bad things about it. Ain't that crazy? Hey, man, yeah, we stick. We're the worst. I don't want to hear anything. thing. I mean, I'm just saying. But Cam was like, look, man, I just think they look good. I don't know, Cam. They look all right. I, they, they don't look that good. But when you get the win, it works. So now, Cam... You gonna to have to figure out what do I say now with Georgia? Not nothing complimentary, cause this is what we do. Cam, you didn't jinx it. It's just that Cam, you haven't really met Christian yet.
0: Yeah, that I think that's more it. We do,
2: that's not
4: who he is.
0: Cam did nothing wrong. You just have to know when you're talking with a psychopath. That's all. I mean, that's really all it is. Ain't no curses. Ain't no jinxes. There's no hexes. Look. If The only way you can hex a team is if you're out there playing with them, not making plays. You saying they're playing well has nothing to do with how they're going to play or how they've been playing. None of it. All
1: right, hold on, Kevin. So just to confirm, if Max Freed has a no-hitter tonight in the ninth inning, you're cool with all of us talking about it with three outs to go.
0: I I think that's one of those crazy baseball things. I honestly think it, it has nothing to do. With Max Fried throwing that's not a no-hitter. What I, asked
1: or not. You. I asked you to be comfortable with me and you and and all of us, Cam, Christian, just saying, Oh, this is awesome. Max Fried's about to get a no hitter. You would be cool with that.
0: Yeah, send me a text. Hey man, Max Fried's about to throw a no-hitter. I mean, he's either going to do it or he's not. And you texting me on my phone has nothing to do with whether Max Fried finishes off a no-hitter or not.
1: As I, much as I, you I want I it to be. I disagree with that. Well,
0: that's fine. As much as you want it to be. Again, you have to know when you're dealing with psychopaths who think that their text message or their thought vocalized out loud has something to do with their team winning or losing. It is what it is. I don't think listen. anything I say no, no, no. has anything to do with my team winning or losing. It has no, no bearing on it whatsoever.
2: Zero. Listen, 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 and, and for the listener out there, he's calling a psychopath. I, <laughs> I, I accept it. Sometimes you got to know who you are. I know who I am. And I know I'm a part of that. Now, I'm not the one... They got the jacket that my arms can't move. I'm not a skit, I ain't crazy. But I will say this. Let Kevin fool y'all if he want to. Because if that, that scenario that BJ just said really happens, and somebody texts us, and somebody gets an a, 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 a out, I mean, somebody gets a hit with two out. Nobody, on Kevin gonna say, dude, you couldn't wait, you couldn't wait one more. Pe- Let Kevin. No, 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 no. hold pe- on a
1: second. If we're talking about, if we're talking about, you know, overreacting to things that you don't have a control over. No, there's a, a difference been, in over. No, 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 stop, no, 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 stop, stop no, stop.
0: There's a difference in overreacting and thinking that what you say has an effect on what happens on the field okay. because it does you're not. Calling,
1: you're calling other people names. You wouldn't even look at the standings when the Braves were six and a half and seven and a half down. You wouldn't even look. You visually would not look at the standings.
0: But that didn't have an effect on them winning or losing. It had an effect on my my uh, mental state because I couldn't stand it. I looking at the standings or not looking at the standings was not going to make them win. It wasn't going to
1: make them lose. Only the players can okay, do that. Okay, okay, but but you were avoiding a finality and a, an accuracy that you knew. You already knew they were this many games out. That's fine. So you, you already knew.
0: You can call me a psychopath. I, I, again, it's a term of it's a term of endearment in this case, but I'm just not one of those that thinks that like something that somebody texts or verbalizes out loud has anything to do with your team winning or losing. Like they're not at home going, "Dang, we were beating Clemson," but did you see what Cam just said? Cam said we were playing good. I guess that means we need to start sucking right now. No, it has no effect. No, players, the
2: players can feel that stuff. Don't let – Oh, they can't the feel them. it. There's They're no feeling them. it. Stop. I, 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 I'm the only one that your team is setting up for a game-winning field goal, and right before they kick it, you turn the TV off. I guess I'm the only one that does that. And when I turn it on and they and they hit the field goal, that's why I don't watch. But my mama, that's a totally different story. She, she don't care. But, yeah, let, let Kevin fool y'all if he – Kevin won't even look at the standings. But we're the
0: crazy people. It's the standing. That has no bearing on the games. (laughs) Why would you not want to watch the kick? Good or bad, it's going to happen one way or another. You might as well sit there and watch it. I don't see turn like
2: because, because kickers
1: are people. Okay, too, and I don't want to talk. Why would you not want to look at the standings? Good or bad, the standings are what they are. Why would you not want to look at? them? Because they had lost
0: like six in a row. That was more for my mental well being. Like I, I, didn't want to depress myself on purpose. That hasn't whether I enjoyed looking at them or not. It didn't have an effect on them winning or losing. I don't think it has an effect on them winning or losing. Ain't no curses. Ain't none of that. It's just something fun you get to say. Like when the Red Sox didn't win. Like hey. It's the curse of the babe. Or well, was it the curse of the babe when you won two years out of three? No, I don't think so. Or the Cubs. Hey, it's been 100 years. Well, how about because of 85 of those, your team stunk? Was that the curse? Was that the, the goat curse at, 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 at the Cubs because your team didn't want to spend money on players and your team stunk? That's no curse. That's just business. <laughs> I mean, just at the end of the, the Jets, day.
2: The Jets, the, Jets, the, Jets, the Jets are cursed. They, they have curve. They're
0: not winning anything. That being said, Florida, Florida looked good in the second half, Ben, i am saying. Nope,
2: nope.
1: <laughs> no, hold on. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you go back to 2002. There's somebody who's a Georgia fan right before Ben caught his touchdown pass and he called his buddy and said, we're about to win. Florida can't score. We're going to win. David Green, we're going to win. We're going to go to the national championship. You spoke too soon, and then Ben caught the pass. I guarantee well, that, you that. Well, no, happened. I'm saying
0: that, but that's just idiotic like you don't call the win before you win that's just sports like like you have multiple instances of that like go watch online you have sprinters running and they're like they slow up when the hands out here comes a little dude by him and you lose no you never call the win before it's why why would you do that i don't think saying somebody's playing well has anything to do with it but if i'm if i'm looking at a game-winning kick i'm not oh it's good like no, I, it's either going to be good or it's not. But I don't think the ripple uh,
1: effect. Look, there's a ripple effect in life where this causes that, this causes that, like dominoes. You don't even speak about it, don't even talk about it, don't reference it. Cam, I appreciate the you know the passion, but it, but it's like Ben said, Christian didn't like that. Now you're getting to see Christian
2: on oh, a Saturday. Cam, listen, 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 listen. Cam doesn't know. Cam doesn't know Christian for real. I'm telling you, listen, Christian is Christian is cool. Christian is the only, but Cam, don't listen to Kevin either. Kevin is not telling you the truth on that, Cam, because I'm telling you, you only love a team when you make stuff up about it. It's not what nope. what's going on. You, got Cam, to make you do, stuff up. Cam,
0: you're fine. You didn't do anything wrong. Just know who you're talking to.
2: <laughs> all right. That's all,
0: that's all I'm saying. Cam did nothing wrong. You just got to know that if I say that to Christian, he's going to flip out. That's all.
2: Here's the thought though. Here's a thought though, Cam. Cam, if you didn't do nothing wrong, why didn't Kevin say what you said? Like Kevin don't say that kind of stuff. Kevin doesn't say complimentary things because he knows you don't compliment your team. You don't do it. Nope, no, because I know my audience. I know how Christian is. I'm not going
0: to say anything to him. He'll fly off the handle. Not dealing with
1: that. Oh.
2: We all have a sickness, and it's called the love of college football. We all make stuff up, and we make excuses for the things (laughs) we do and call everybody else crazy.
1: We'll come back.
0: We've got more to come. That's take three. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Skin Radio Network we'll look at the week that wasn't in the ACC coming up in just a little bit also look at the good the bad the ugly from the college football weekend also recap the SEC weekend that was uh coming up in the final hour of the program as well but joining us here as he does each Tuesday on the show host of the back nine boys golf show Rich Stiles joins us Rich welcome how are you
4: Doing great, guys. Hope you are.
0: Oh, Doing fantastic. Saw the playoffs come to an end. Patrick Cantlay wins the, uh, the big 15 million. Uh, talk about him and how, uh, how he's kind of received around the golf world. I know a guy that's kind of quiet and uh, not necessarily a huge personality out there, but speak to that win over the weekend.
4: Well, not only that win over the weekend, but it was his fourth PGA Tour win. First time that has happened in four years. Uh, he's won in his whole career less than 15 million dollars maybe about 14 something but now he wins 15 million dollars in one tournament and he won wire to wire and it's only 3% of the players in the FedEx Cup over the fact that they've had it over the years only 3% of the players have won all four days and been in the lead and then won the FedEx Cup 3% so he's quiet he's good he hit a driver and a six iron with $15 million on the line on the last hole. I think he's pretty good. So, Rich,
1: when you look at his game, um, what makes him so consistent? What makes him so effective?
4: Steady. Steady, consistent, and he's, he hits the ball in play, and when he's in trouble, he gets out and ends up making a par or, at worst, a bogey. Like he did two weeks ago at the BMW, he made a bogey, but then ended up winning the tournament because he had a two- or three-stroke lead. So if he gets in trouble, he does his best to get out of it, and most of the time he's gotten out of it. But I think driving accuracy is a key. He's hitting his irons crisp and on the green. And at the BMW, he putted fantastic. He didn't putt as well at the Tour Championship, but he putted enough in order to win.
2: So, uh, so, Rich, is he marketable? You know, every time, every time somebody wins a big tournament or, you know, you know uh, win the FedEx Cup, you know, is, is, is this person the next face? Is he a potential face around golf? That, and does he have a good enough storyline for people to, like, you know, garner that type of attention to become one of the next faces of golf?
4: Oh, I think he's got a great story. I mean, he's been around. He's played consistently. Last couple of years, his game has really taken a change, and it's taken a turn towards really good – um, he had a lot of top 10 finishes this year. He won four times, uh, including the BMW, including the tour championship, you know, two out of the three playoffs. I mean, I think he's got a bright future and uh, obviously he's, uh, he's kind of set for life at this point.
0: Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joins us. So the playoffs now over. You start to look ahead to the 2022 season. You still got the Ryder Cup uh, out there. What is the, uh, the next development uh, going to be on that front?
4: Well, I think uh, tomorrow Steve Stricker will announce his six picks. Um, you know, it's, it, it's pretty well, uh, you know, de- declared that he's got a couple of those. I mean, we are pretty sure that Harris English from here is going to make the Ryder Cup team. He had two wins this year on the PGA Tour. Didn't have a great playoff series, but I think Harris has still got the game. He'll have a couple weeks rest, and I think, you know, that's what all these guys need at this point. Uh, But the key is going to be, is Stricker going to take a Daniel Berger, a Patrick Reed, a Webb Simpson? Is he going to go for, you know, who's been playing hot during the playoffs? I think it'll be interesting, uh, but I think the uh, U.S. team is going to have a a tough task at whistling straight.
1: Rich, when you consider or evaluate uh, possible team members for the Ryder Cup, what traits do you look for out of out of golfers? Is it the ability to drive, the ability to putt, experience? What what traits do you look for?
4: Well, I think BJ that you definitely look for those traits, but I think the other thing that you want to look for is chemistry. How are they going to get along with the guys in the clubhouse? How are they going to go? along with the guys on the team. I mean, are they going to be distracting? Are they going to be, you know, friendly with everybody? Is everybody going to want to play with everybody? Uh, It'd be interesting to see if we see a brooks uh, Bryson combo. I doubt it, but you never know. Um, But I just think you're looking for chemistry, and you're looking for some steady play, consistent play. Somebody who can drive the ball well and does not get flustered. And that's why I think Webb Simpson should be part of the Ryder Cup team because I think he's just one of the best out there, and I think he brings some experience and maturity to that team.
2: And, Rich, I mean, how, you know, I mean, I'm hearing everything you're saying about, you know, how potential members are picked. How much does that, that hurt a guy like Bryson or maybe like a Patrick Reed, which good players, but you got to deal with all the chemistry situations as well.
4: Well, I think Bryson um, has shown that, yes, he can drive the ball far, but, you know, Bryson gets pretty emotional, it gets pretty, um, you know, you can read it on his face that he thinks he should have made several putts during that uh, playoff that he had with Cantley at the the BMW, and, you know, it's just one of those things that I think, you know, Bryson has been hitting the ball far, but, um, you know, he had a good tournament at the BMW playing 20-under, but... Um, he didn't win, he didn't come through, and uh, his driving is great, but there's more to the game than driving. And I think you've got to keep your cool, you got to be able to be consistent, you got to get along with your teammates. And, you know, Bryson is kind of a sideshow. And uh, as being a sideshow, you, you, he's on the team, so he earned the right to be on the team. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see who he's going to be paired with um, a Bryson Patrick Reed might be kind of interesting um, if Patrick is picked, uh, but you know Bryson is kind of out there on his own little uh, uh, island, so to speak, uh, the island of long drive, protein shakes, and <laughs> like to pump you up type thing. But uh, you know it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Ryder Cup. Chemistry is going to be key, and I think Stricker and his vice captains are going to be. Uh, very insistent on the fact that in those pods that they're going to put everybody in, uh, that everybody gets along and that they have a chance to play with each other several times prior to whistling straights in the Ryder Cup.
0: Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, our guest here on 3 and Out. Rich, who do you have coming up this weekend?
4: Well, I've got one guest, John Wood, who used to be Matt Kuchar's caddy, and we'll find out what happened there. But Matt, or John, is also... Uh, one of the announcers with NBC, along with Bones McKay. And we're going to talk to uh, John about the playoffs, about the Bryson-Brooks combo, the Patrick Campley unbelievable season, and uh, what he expects coming up out of the Ryder Cup.
0: Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Saturday and Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Rich, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Have a blessed day. Will do. Rich Styles joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back. We'll look at the ACC weekend that wasn't. Did Jim Phillips just have a road trip tour from you know where uh, this weekend going around and watching his conference play? We'll get to that next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. It is 3 and Out. It's a Tuesday Coming off a great weekend of college football, but maybe a forgettable one for the ACC. Uh, BJ and Benno, Jim Phillips, new commissioner, first couple months on the job. He was doing the road tour. I think I saw him at every ACC game, potentially, that was on TV this week, uh, getting interviewed. And, wow, just not a, a win out of conference of significance uh, to speak of. Uh, your two best games, or your best game, was probably Virginia Tech-North Carolina in conference, uh, where one of your better preseason thought-of teams got knocked off uh, by the Hokies, so uh, the weekend that wasn't is what I'm calling it uh, for the ACC. How do how do you bounce back uh, from that early season narrative, BJ? That's been put out there about your conference.
2: do we got the longest introduction and longest walk in history. We don't think Sam Howell and those guys are that good. I don't think people are caring too much about Charlotte and Duke. I think they're gonna give Duke a pass. I mean, you know, I, I, I just but BJ, you know, we look at these things differently. The best game of the of the weekend was freaking Notre Dame, you know, in Florida State for two reasons. One. Notre Dame was up 38 to 20, and people thought it was over. No, Coach Norvell, Florida State, as of as of late, that game's over. Well, then all of a sudden they come back. Mackenzie Milton, the guy at UCF who was not supposed to play anymore, they lost because of a kick. It, it was, but the game was really, really good. Coach, outside outside of Coach Kelly's uh, comments after the game, that was a very, 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 really, very, very good game. Nobody expected uh, Louisville uh, to, 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 like, play well against Ole Miss. That was really to show off, you know, Lane Kiffin, you know, in that offense and Matt Corral. But UGA and Clemson, it was still a good game, right? It was a very, very good game, but just Clemson. We used to see Clemson winning. Alabama, Miami, I mean, every everybody outside of the Eric King, who was still talking trash after the game, everybody thought it would go that way. But I think the ACC is always going through that you know, uh, you know uh, that identity crisis. and say, "Who are we?" Because if the best team lost, what do we do? How do we pull our weight? It is week one, but I was impressed by Virginia Tech. We assume, "Oh, that's the hypertrophic hand of Sam Howell." I told you, BJ. Sam Howell got a lot of got a lot of uh, Baker Mayfield in him. He will throw the ball to the other team. That's a bad pick. But NC State, we said there was going to be a good team going into this season. USF is real bad, and and it, and it proved it. So I think that. You got better teams in the ACC. They just they they're not the usual names, like you said. Boston College and Wake and NC State aren't the the sexy picks like Miami, North Carolina, Clemson. All but it is Week One. I think everybody will bounce back. Yeah, but I do think that you know the fact that the fact that social media was blowing up because because North Carolina beat Georgia Tech shows that Georgia Tech matters. People were losing it. I'm talking about people were losing it. And I'm not saying I was on there of trash myself. I'm just saying that's what I heard. I heard that people was on the top of trash because <laughs> the boys from the ATL didn't get that done. No, but I, mean, but, 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 I mean, Kevin, to that point, people sometimes forget
1: Georgia Tech is a traditional superpower. I mean, when you think about Georgia Tech's history and tradition, and I know Georgia fans don't like to hear this, I mean, this is a program that, that, that stands out historically, has a national championship in, from, from 1990, was in the Orange Bowl, what, six years ago? where they beat Mississippi State. So this is a program that has national appeal. And I, I think it's fair to say that was a major disappointment, uh, what, what, what happened on Saturday. You go back to last year, I think you were still in that kind of transition window from Paul Johnson. But even though Jeff Sims got hurt, and anytime you lose your starting quarterback, that's a tough thing. But to lose and and to lose when you had a lead and give it up uh, to a to a team that does. I mean, look, Northern Illinois had some good teams. They were not good last year. They they did not win a game. Uh, that was a really tough loss, and I think especially bad for Jeff Collins when you think about the trajectory of the program.
0: Sure, and again, I think in in year three, uh, you got to start showing those signs of uh, moving in the right direction. I know you can come and say, well, you're transitioning away from Paul Johnson's offense. Okay. What defense were you transitioning away from, right? You had the lead. You had four minutes to go. All you needed was to stop against Northern Illinois. Get off the field. Your team runs the, the, the clock out. You win. What defensive transition are you going through? Uh, offensively, most of these guys that are playing now are Jeff Collins guys or transfers that have come in during the, uh, the Jeff Collins era. So I, I get it. Hey, you're undergoing a transition. Well, these are your players. So uh, that is a, that's a bad one. That is a bad loss. Again, uh, you can reference guys who have had bad losses earlier this year. Look, Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe at Alabama. But you know what didn't happen? It didn't happen again uh, after he did that. Uh, they became a really, really good program It took that to build upon. This is year three. You've had a couple of these now uh, for, for Jeff Collins. I think, uh, and, and again, it's, it's, it's stylistically something that's going to grate people the wrong way. You come in selling, I've, I've said this to Ben and you go on the show, you come in selling sizzle, at some point you better put some steak on the plate. And I think that's what people are waiting for. You could come in with the with the sayings and we're going to change the culture and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But at the end of the day, you have to win ball games, And certainly you have to win ball games against teams that you're supposed to beat. And they didn't do that. And I think that is a big step back. Now you're talking about Kennesaw State coming up. And then I think it's Clemson. In week three so you know that one's not going to go well so you really start breaking down the schedule of who can you beat if this thing doesn't get turned around uh in in the right way because again it was 22 21 but they trailed that game uh most of the way until late in the third quarter uh and and took the lead outside of that i mean northern illinois had their way uh moving the ball between the 20s so uh that is something they've got to get fixed up and certainly not good for that fan base in year three uh under jeff collins
2: I yeah. just think that uh, Georgia Tech realized really quickly there's a difference between mattering in your conference and mattering nationally. What happens at Georgia Tech, it matters nationally. So the oh. thing about Jeff Collins is, if NC State lose the NIU, no one cares. Or wait, no one cares. But Georgia Tech, like you said, BJ, they are a national superpower. Well, the people want to admit that they are. So what happens at Georgia Tech happens. I mean, it matters nationally because I'm telling you, maybe, maybe the Kevin Thomas chaos thing is just, I mean, I'm talking about when they lost, People people going crazy. And sometimes as if you go to Georgia Tech or you coach to Georgia, you need to be reminded where you at. Like, dude, this is Georgia Tech. Like, I'm sorry. Hey, hey, great, great story, NIU. You went on six last year. You can't lose to those type of teams. I know we talk about the parody in college football. Who cares? You cannot lose to NIU. So especially if you're Georgia Tech. So yeah, I, I agree, Kevin. I mean, you you can't listen, the same thing they hire you for with high five, the Waffle House. It will get you up out of here just as fast <laughs> because, I, because 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 they'll say well if it ain't the recruiting because guess what Georgia Tech ran the ball well and played better with your backup quarterback but like you said defense couldn't stop the run because uh, NIU's running back went over 100 yards you got to win the games when you're better than the team that you you know that you on the schedule with and for one weekend Georgia Tech had about as bad as a loss that you could have.
0: Yeah, I think that one was tough, and I think you saw a, uh, like I said, the backup quarterback Jordan Yates comes in and plays well. And again, BJ, I kind of looked at it and said you had two situations where that where Florida State was kind of lifeless, and then Mackenzie Milton comes in and it was a completely different ball game. Might there be a quarterback situation going into week two there in Tallahassee, off of the, just based off the way the team played around him in the final uh, quarter plus there.
1: Yeah, potentially, and, and I know Kyle Hamilton made some incredible plays on, a, on, on a two Jordan-Travis throws that were intercepted, and I, and I think Travis was hurt in that game, so we'll see. But don't be surprised if, and I understand the circumstances were different, but when you look at Georgia Tech, when you look at Florida State, to see two quarterbacks used in the coming weeks uh, at both those schools and maybe at some other spots around the conference too. I think you're going to see multiple quarterbacks play. But, yes, will we see more of McKenzie Milton? Absolutely. And and what a story. Uh, Congrats to that young man. I think we'll see more of him moving forward. We've got
0: more to come here on 3 and Out, including just, again, a wild weekend in college football. Georgia Southern gets up and hangs on late uh, to Gardner-Webb. We'll break that down next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. It's three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. In just the midst of all the wild games out there, Georgia Southern hanging on to, uh, to beat Gardner-Webb in, in week one. It kind of had one of these last year with Campbell, although missing a whole bunch of players uh, in that first week against Campbell a season ago. But, BJ, looked to be in control. Uh, you and I and uh, some others, we were talking about these games. We're like, yeah, Georgia Southern winning pretty good. And you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Not so fast. It has gotten tight uh, late so much so that Gardner- Gardner-Webb actually had the football Uh, late trying to drive and win the football game uh, against Georgia Southern, obviously with two guys that are trying to compete to play quarterback here. uh, Cam Ransom going to probably get some more playing time this week as you wait uh, for Tomlin to come back. But what's your kind of initial read there on Georgia Southern coming out of the gates and uh, look to be a comfortable kind of uh, ball game until late?
1: Uh, to go along with uh, uh, six points in the third quarter. And like you said, really rallied. But you look at Cam Ransom, uh, 8 of 13 for 90 yards with a, with a touchdown through the air. I think you look at Logan Wright, ran for 178 yards and a touchdown. You had 500 yards of total offense. So I think you're excited about that. And 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 to give credit where credit's due on that last drive, you were able to rush the passer and end the game with with a couple of sacks. But – Uh, You saw Gardner-Webb move the football through the air, Uh, 315 yards passing, three touchdowns from their starting quarterback. So I think that's where you look for a little improvement. Uh, This Georgia Southern secondary is very talented, and I think you'll see them bounce back and move forward. But week one, find a way. Find a way to get the win. Uh, You played a couple of different quarterbacks obviously there in that game Amari Jones getting in there doing a nice job as well almost 100 yards rushing for him but I think you want to tighten things up a little bit defensively and it's one of those games where you have a lead you have to keep adding on and make sure you don't leave the door cracked for a comeback there but at the end of the day probably not pleased with the performance overall but you got the win and you saw some young players really look good
2: yeah, Coach Larford, I mean, uh, it's it's much easier to go back and evaluate the tape when you talk about a win compared to a loss. But Georgia Southern, I think the one thing they learned this weekend is they're still one of the most hunted teams, you know, in college football. I mean, they beat up on a lot of teams for a lot of years, and some of these teams remember that. So if you guard the web, look, this is this you you guys are the barometer. So, and it kind of seems to the old adage of every time, uh, every time uh you know, Georgia Southern rushes for over two hundred yards. They have a really, really good shot of winning the game. The problem is, sometimes when you run the football, you know, it push it push your defense back on the field a lot, so it speeds the game up. So I do think I do agree, BJ. You got to tr- try to sure some things up because. That's that's been the adage, right? You've had so many guys go to go to the pros in that secondary. You think can't nobody throw on us? Well, that's what Gardner Webb does, and it was working for him. But you did get the win, scratching the car, scratch You did get that win. But I do think that you can't have that. That, that can't be your recipe moving forward. And let's get a lead, and let's try to run the clock out because football, anything that can happen will happen. But I do agree, Kevin. I mean, when you from from this year to last year, we talk about how many players they had. They got it done. So your Gardner Webb, good showing. But you know, uh. GSU still came up with the
0: does. Survive in advance at FAU coming up this weekend. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Look at the good, the bad, the ugly from the weekend that was. We'll look at the SEC as well in the final hour. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network or streaming live ESPNCoastal.com. Now we're here of 3 and Out on this Tuesday. Glad you are with us. Coming off a tremendous weekend of college football. Week 2 going to be just as fun. Uh, as we head into it, something we want to do every well, we will do it normally on Monday. Obviously, the first week a little bit different with Labor Day and, and games all uh, all weekend long. But let's want to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly from the weekend that was here on uh, on college football. Let's start with the good. What'd you see uh, out there that was good?
1: I think, I think George's defense was beyond good. It was great. But since we don't have a great category, I'm going to put George's defense in there. Listen, I talked about it at the start of the show. This is one of the most dominant big game performances I've ever seen. And, Ben, we were talking about it in the show meeting. I mean, maybe you go back to the Alabama uh, shutout over LSU in the national title game. Maybe you think about that Alabama LSU 6-3 game in regulation. Uh, I know you can go back to the early 2000s and think about some of those Miami defenses but for me, this is about as good as I've ever seen anybody in a big game defensively. And you had the pressure from the you know, from the front. You had linebackers all over the place. You had Chris Smith out of the secondary scoring the only touchdown in the game. Georgia absolutely controlled the game at the line of scrimmage, overwhelmed Clemson at the point of attack. And that's a Clemson team that's made six straight college football playoffs. So that was absolutely incredible. Uh, I also think about a couple of quarterbacks. Uh, McKenzie Milton and Zeb Nolan McKenzie Milton uh, 2018 had a horrific leg injury there were real concerns about him beyond just football he battles back, says he wants to play comes back got in the game against Florida State made some great plays the Noles losing overtime but he helped lead a great comeback and it was just wonderful to see him out there playing football having fun I also think about Zeb Nolan right he was kind of a he was kind of a, a an internet joke for a couple of all oh, South Carolina is going to play a former grad assistant at quarterback. Yep, they're going to start him, and he's going to throw four touchdown passes. So shout out to Zeb. Look, sometimes your chances might come in a weird way. Take advantage of the opportunities when they're there. Uh, Bryce Young, we've talked about him in the Alabama offense. You lose six of the top 37 picks in the NFL draft on offense alone, and you drop 40. whatever on Miami and could have scored as much as you wanted and then Ben this is for you my final thing that was good how about Florida rushing for 400 yards that's right the Florida Gators lining up and running that football Florida didn't have 400 yards rushing all season last season hey 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 they had 400 (laughs) yards against a really good FAU defense that's a good FAU defense so I thought it was great to see Florida run the football
2: my my two my two goods. I'm sticking with the quarterbacks. BJ number one is Mr. Will Levis. For those of you who don't know, what that is that would be the starting quarterback for Kentucky. 18 to 26, 367 yards, four touchdowns and a pick. Listen, you know what was Kentucky's been their Achilles heel for us since Jerry Lorenzo. May he rest in peace. But can they throw the football? I think they found their guy. I mean, 367 yards, four TDs and a pick is very very efficient. And they ran the ball very very efficient way. I mean, beat the breaks off of Louisiana Monroe, 45 to 10. But my good. It's Mr. Ref Hefflin. That is the starting quarterback for Presbyterian. You want to hear some stats? Thirty-eight of 50, 538 yards, ten touchdowns, zero picks. I am not making ten touchdown passes and zero. picks. who was his coach? That would be Mr. Kevin Kelly. You know he was the, he was he's the he's the, uh, he's the uh, uh, high school coach from Arkansas that won nine championships. Doesn't believe in punting. Doesn't believe in onside. Only believes in onside kicks. But, yeah, Presbyterian, I mean, when I saw this score, I said 84. 84 to St. Andrews scored 43 points on the is They gave up 84 points. But shout-out to Mr. Ref Halfley. Shout-out to Mr. Will Levis. But BJ, I I, I I can't say it enough, though. Mackenzie Milton, look, if you can't root for McKenzie Milton, you don't like football and you don't like football players. This young man is why you watch football. I mean, it was like I whenever the 30 for 30 comes out and they just talk about when he came back in the game, and, Kevin, you said this. If you ever played a dope, you don't want dope to come alive because when they came alive, it got ugly, it didn't get the win. But I think Mackenzie Milton is about as good as a football story you ever going to have.
0: I, I think for me the good was quite simple. The number one good was just having fans back in the stands. I mean, the atmosphere at Virginia Tech. Inner Sandman fans jumping around. Florida State eighty thousand doing the chop, jump around at at Camp Randall and in getting ready for a big fourth quarter. That was amazing. That was electric. And then you get some tight games coming up to it. You know, Charlotte, uh, electric atmosphere there late in ball games. uh, Where as you you go back and you listen to some of those games uh, from a year ago, watch some of those games, and there's nobody there. And it's just it seems like spring ball. Uh, And to see that kind of come back. I I thought on full display, BJ and Ben, was why we enjoy college football. That right there. Uh, Certainly the good, I I hate to put it on there because you expected it, but, I mean, Alabama, my goodness. If you thought there was going to be any kind of step back or, hey, it might take them a couple weeks, nope. They're still there, and they're still (laughs) rocking and rolling. All right, what about the bad?
1: I mean, I got to start with Vanderbilt, uh, and listen, you, you're going to have to give Clark Lee time to build this program, to recruit, to develop a system, but they really had a difficult time on Saturday against East Tennessee State, and shout out to the Bucs, Coach Randy Sanders. Uh, they got a big win, but you lose 23-3 to at home to an FCS team. You don't get in the end zone. Uh, you struggle to uh, – even be in the game late, you had a defensive touchdown in the second half from ETSU, but you lose by 20 at home, uh, that's 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 a rough performance for an opener. And I know Clark Lee played at Vanderbilt, went to Vanderbilt, loves Vanderbilt. You got to give it time. Uh, this is going to be a long build, but that was a tough way to get it started, to lose at home to an in-state FCS team by 20 points.
2: The bad, the bad, the bad for me is LSU. I mean, coming off a of five and five season, people are thinking, okay, man, we get it. You guys lost a ton of players to the transfer portal as well as the NFL draft, so maybe last year was just an anomaly. Okay, a mulligan. We get it. You go out there, you got, you got, you got Coach O talking trash to the fans, walking into the stadium, and you got beat. I mean, you got the brakes beat off you all game from a UCLA team that hasn't won, hasn't been relevant as of late with Chip Kelly. And it was bad from opening dean. I mean, crossing routes, you couldn't stop the pass, couldn't stop the run. They dominated LSU. Like this, not this does not look like a team that was two years removed from winning the national championship. This look like a team was trying to figure out who they are. Mac Johnson ended up having a good game, but he was doing some rookie mistake stuff, like when he was out there. But all in all, it's the whole LSU team. It was bad from the start to finish. Coach O. A little less talking, a little more coaching. Because I'm telling you, if y'all start off the way y'all started off last year, and I know you signed a big contract, you know sometimes they pay you to leave, and you might be on the you might be on the outside looking in. With those types of stuff. So for me, giving them LSU boys getting dominated by them brewing. I think
0: the I think the bad for me is something that's been brewing over college football for the last couple of years, and I think you saw more people outwardly talking about it. This weekend than I've heard ever, and BJ, you and I have had conversations about this off the air, and that is all the targeting. All the targeting leading to ejections. Mississippi, uh, Ole Miss and and, uh, Louisville had four in one quarter uh, where guys were getting tossed. You saw it in game after game after game where you have uh, incidental contact at times. Sometimes uh, contact, yes, helmet-to-helmet okay, take the penalty. I don't like seeing guys tossed for the rest of the game, uh, If it's especially in like the first quarter. Or uh, it's in the third quarter, and now they can't play next week for something that happened on the field in a game this week. So I think that's something moving forward that if, if what we're hearing on TV and the talking heads – is going to start become part of the national narrative, I think we're going to do away with the ejection on targeting. I think it's been coached in enough that guys are not trying to lead with their head. If they are, maybe that still warrants an ejection, but I think we're seeing week after week games be affected by the fact that guys are off the field because of a football play where an uh, offensive player potentially lowers his head as you're going in to make a tackle, your helmet's hit, and all of a sudden it's 15 yards and you can't play the rest of the day and potentially half the next week. I think that's ridiculous, and we saw way too much of it here in week number one for my taste. That's definitely the bad, too much targeting, and certainly I don't like seeing the ejections uh, in college football. Now what about the ugly, your ugly moments from the weekend?
1: I'm going to go with Mississippi State for the first three quarters. And with all the games happening, people may not have seen what was happening with Mississippi State. And remember uh, last year, you, you, you started out with a huge performance and a great win. Mississippi State at the start of the fourth quarter was down 34 to 14 at home to Louisiana tech. They were down 34 to 14 at home to Louisiana tech. Now, The Bulldogs of Louisiana Tech did make a bowl game last year, lost to Georgia Southern, but their last two games to end last season, Louisiana Tech lost by a margin of 90-13 to in their last two games to end 2020. So you were not facing a team that had a ton of momentum, needless to say, and you were getting beaten just in every aspect of the game until the fourth quarter. Now, I say the first three quarters because shout-out to Mississippi State, they scored three touchdowns over the final twelve minutes. Louisiana Tech missed a late field goal that would have won the game for them, and Mississippi State won. And just like we were saying with Georgia Southern or whoever, if you're one and you're one and and you take it and you move on. But the first three quarters, you're getting just destroyed at home by a team that really struggled to end last season. Uh, I gotta put I gotta put Mississippi State there, uh, and then we talk about it. I think I think Georgia Tech struggles. You know, when you think about the excitement. When you think about the recruiting, when you think about the positive traction you've had uh, to come out and—I mean, Kevin mentioned it—not look sharp at all. I mean, you were people may say, "Oh, look, uh, uh, Northern Illinois scored on a late two-point conversion to win, right?" But they also controlled the game for almost the entire duration. So, Mississippi State's first three quarters and uh, not a good opener for Georgia Tech.
2: For me, I'm going to listen. Listen, I'm going to I'm going to go to I'm going to go to the. You know the HBCUs. I'm gonna go to Old Deion Sanders. I'm gonna go to Old Jackson State versus FAMU in Miami. Every it's all star studded, and it was a pillow fight. It was the final score was seven to six, but that is not what made it up. The thing about Deion Sanders, BJ, that I'm always saying, I think he is bigger than the team because it becomes more about him. There's this guy by the name of Gilly the Kid. He's a rapper. He's a podcaster. Walking to the game, you know he's in. He's in there. They playing music and he's getting riled up with the team. That's not the problem. This is when it got ugly. Jackson State scored a touchdown. There's a guy running down the sideline with the Jackson State player. That's Gilly the kid. The Jackson State player gives Gilly the kid the ball, and he spikes it. For an unsporting, you can't <laughs> do that. And to me, that's the gimmicky part, BJ. It's like we are rooting for Dion for more than just Jackson State and what he's trying, but that would happen nowhere else. Gilly, the kid, number one, don't know he's not supposed to be running down the sideline. The player don't know to not give him the ball, and he ain't smart enough to not spike it because it's bad enough the game was seven to six. So that, to me, that's the part about Jackson State and Dion that he doesn't get. You got to do it a certain way or people going to think it's just a gimmick. And – his son started. Shadir Sanders did start in the game. Look, look really, really sharp. But 7 6. But the kid, next time you are a celebrity, they let you come to the game. Be in the game. Be on the sideline. Don't be picking up balls and spiking them. And the fact that he, and we, if you go and look at it, he's never, it's like a person's never thrown a baseball. He looked about as it, unathletic, spiking a football. Then you, I think he spiked it with two hands. But for me, that's <laughs> not good because it's bad for the sport. It's bad. It's, it's rough. Yes. Yes, the it two it It's, it's 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 like it's I, I, for me. I'm rooting for HBCUs because I know how I know they're trying to elevate, you know, uh, their platform, their visibility. But when but you're gonna be known by the worst part of it, and the worst part of it is a dude by the name of Gilly the Kid running down the sideline with the Jackson State player. He gives him the ball. Go and do, listen. Go, please go to YouTube and see this, because Dion's like, what? He they ain't even know Gilly the Kid had ran out the sideline. Who was that running out? That's Gilly. So for me, come on, Jackson State. You got to do better, man. Y'all that did document as a fan, it was, it was, well, I don't want to say it was a good game. It was a game, but it's going to be knowing more about the fight that shouldn't have happened than the actual game itself.
0: I will say the ugly, I was got right there with you. Jeff Collins, uh, Georgia tech. That's a game you're supposed to win Uh year three. You don't lose that game. And it did. And it was again, offensively kind of, eh, uh, for much of that game, still trying to find a passing game, running game. Had two backs for nearly 100 yards each. That was a positive. Defense, though, couldn't stop somebody when you needed to get off the field. And then I will say this. Uh, I know we like to make jokes and, and take it a, uh, a step too far sometimes, but Brian Kelly, ugly. Come on, man. You won a game in overtime. Don't don't say our players and coaches need to be executed. Come on. that's. I, I know it's a joke, but, I mean, Read the room, Brian Kelly. We live in hypersensitive times. You can't say stuff like that uh, after after the game, even if it is a a joke. People are going to take it in the absolute wrong way. Don't do that, and don't say it about your own team, certainly uh, right after they just won a game of all things. Uh, so that's uh, the good to bad. We want to do this every Monday, coming out of the football weekend, and that's uh, where we started with it uh, today. We'll come back, look at the weekend that was in the SEC. Some good, some bad. And uh, we'll break it down next. Take your phone calls as well, 912-342-7184. Georgia fans, where are you at after the uh, big win over Clemson this weekend? We'll get to your calls next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Looking at the SEC, Georgia beating Clemson, obviously, right up there with Alabama just obliterating Miami which do you think BJ Ben was kind of more impressive on the face? The 10 three over a Clemson team, which is very good defensive battle or Alabama against a alleged top 15, just leaving no doubt. I mean, the, the first quarter that thing was
1: over. I think for me, the more impressive result was what Georgia did. And I understand offensively, you didn't have the productivity we've talked about all preseason, but I have not seen many defensive efforts like that, especially on that stage. I mean, Clemson entering the fourth quarter. I know you can look at the final box score, but uh, beyond that, Clemson after three quarters had fewer than 100 yards, fewer than 100 total yards. And we're talking about Clemson with DJ Uiagalelei and Lynn J. Dixon and uh, Joe Nada and and uh, Justin Ross and, and Brendan Galloway. I mean, this is a team that still has some of the best offensive players in all of college football, and you absolutely overwhelm them. Georgia did. Uh, Nicobe Dean was everywhere. Adam Anderson, Nolan Smith off the edge. Jordan Davis. It was incredible. And then Chris Smith with the long play of the game, maybe one of the plays of the year we'll see in college football where he houses a pick in a game where nobody can score or move the football. Uh, that, was, that was unprecedented in my mind. To see that type of dominance against a team that has made six straight college football playoffs, that's incredible. And what Alabama – I don't want to discredit Alabama because they do this every year. What Alabama did was remarkable also. Absolutely controlled every aspect of the game against a top 15 team when Alabama probably is replacing as much talent as they ever have. Remember at SEC media days, the whisper was, if you're going to get them, get them this year. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, That ain't going to happen. okay? Alabama absolutely controlled any and all aspects of that game against Miami but for Georgia to make Clemson look like they didn't know what they were doing offensively for Georgia to make Clemson look like their offensive line was well below average for Georgia to keep Clemson off the scoreboard, except for one field goal. I haven't seen much like that in my time covering the sport. Uh, so I get that all around, if you were to do grades position by position, maybe you'd go Alabama, but I think what, what, what Georgia did to Clemson, I think it'll take us a while to fully appreciate what happened? Because I'm telling you, this Clemson team is going to score 40 points a game. They're going to come back. They're going to score 50 next week. They're going to score 45 the week after that. And we're going to have more of an appreciation for what they did, Georgia, once we see Clemson return to form.
2: I already appreciate what Georgia did, BJ, because I think what happens is Georgia finally did something. Georgia did what Clemson used to do. You had to get past the Clemson. Georgia rose to the occasion. Regardless of how it happened, but but we did it in a defensive effort because in the offseason, it was all about the offenses. J, you know J T. Day the D J U. They both from the same area out there in It was it was all about the offense, all about the offense. And Coach, you know what Coach Landry said? Look, we are gonna go out here and show what we can do. We, I'm going to unleash this front seven because you know how you know the front seven was good. Georgia won the game because of a, because of, because of a pick six, and it was less about the pick six and more about why the pick six. It was a beautiful game to watch. You talk about defensive game plans. DJU, people say he looked nervous. No, no, he didn't look nervous. He was because you see these guys coming at him. It felt like it was all 11 guys coming at him all game. Great defensive players or great defensive schemes can make even the best players on offense look average. That's what, and that's what happened. Is DJU still high profile still one of the best? Yes. But who did he go up against? Because, and in a sense, that's how you really judge elite talent when they go up against elite talent. And it's not DJU and, and all by himself, but the most impressive thing, Clifford had two yards rushing the whole night. Two. Two yards. So this is, with all the great defense that have ever come through Georgia, this might, this might not be the best defensive team. That is the greatest defensive performance you're going to ever see because it's who you did it against. If Georgia does this against a team that's not as good, no. But you went up against... You know, the number two team in the country at the time, and then you did it. So, yeah, BJ, I do agree. We're not supposed to appreciate it. You know, it's like it's like when Vince Carter stuck his arm in the rim, we didn't really know what we was looking at. Like, did you did you see what he just did? And years later, we realized, yeah, the average person can't do that. So, yeah, shout out to them Georgia Bulldogs and that defense because with so much talk about the offense, we made it about the headliners, and the headliners of this Georgia team is that defensive front, led by that front seven, Davis and the Kobe Dean. And those guys, you know, Nolan Smith, they, were, they lived in the backfield with seven sacks. And, and seven sacks usually mean we ain't dedicated to the run. No they, no, they came to play. They put their hard hat on and they put on the show. So the recruiting class in 2022, watch how many players on defense that were supposed to go to Clemson end up flipping and going to Georgia because they're going to put on the tape.
0: And again, you look over at, uh, at Alabama, they did nothing to, uh, to hurt their cause either. Uh, BJ, doing what they did to Miami. And Bryce Young looks to be the real deal, obviously.
1: And I think most of us expected that, but to see it come so fluidly and seemingly so easily, I mean, I thought Alabama would cover, but I thought there would be a competitive game for two and a half quarters, and and it really wasn't. And I still think Miami's pretty good, actually. I think uh, De'Eric King's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but that's the power of Alabama. They make everybody they play look average. And Bryce Young was was near perfect. He set an Alabama record for quarterbacks making their first start with four touchdown passes, broke a record held by Matt Jones and Joe Namath, uh, and threw for 344 yards. And then you look at Jamison Williams. You know Everybody was talking about John Mechie, and rightfully so, one of the best receivers out there. Jamison Williams, the Ohio State transfer, comes to Alabama. What does he do in his debut? Give me four catches for a buck 26 and a touchdown. So, and you saw Cameron Latu catch two touchdown passes. There's balance. There are playmakers everywhere. Uh, Defensively, uh, just another incredible secondary. The front is two or three deep, as it always is. Uh, So, Alabama, I mean, can we sum it up any better than the polls? I think right now, the number one team in the country is Alabama. The number two team in the country is Georgia. And after a couple of of games, uh, you know, week zero and week one, I think they're clearly
2: the two best teams in the country. Certainly, For me—I mean, I mean, it's—I it's, mean, Alabama is the, is a usual suspect, right? But this, I'm, this is what's not being talked about. I give a lot of credit to South Carolina. I give a lot of credit to Tennessee, and I give a lot of credit to Auburn. They got new head coaches, and they dominated. Let's look. <clears throat> Excuse me. Alabama is a usual suspect. The scariest team in the SEC right now in the West is Auburn. If you saw what Auburn did, you know that was going to run the football. It was all about Bo Nix, Bo Nix. Coach Harson. I don't know what he told Bo Nix. He was efficient with the football. USC had a guy that was a coach. He's the quarterback. And they dominated. And obviously, Tennessee, this is the same Tennessee team that lost to Georgia State two years ago at home. They ran the football. People go, who they do? It doesn't matter. Tennessee, because you got three teams that are trying to figure out who they are in a hurry. And from what I saw, these teams are playing for their head coaches. I was very, very impressed. With Tennessee, very, very impressed. Uh, you know, with what uh, Auburn was able to do. And I think, it, and I think at the end of the day, you know, when you start talking about the SEC, I mean, Auburn is always gonna be that team that have to, you know, have to play up the competition because you got LSU, you got, uh, you got, you know, you got Alabama, you got Texas a and you got Ole Miss, you got Mississippi State. But for me, BJ, I'm just saying when you think and. And I can't. And I know I talked about this a little bit before. What what Will Levis did at UK, I mean at Kentucky. I mean people need to watch out because it's funny when a when a team when a player at a big time school does it, we go crazy. When it's it's at a not it was at a school that people don't really give a lot of fanfare to. 367 yards, four touchdowns, and they still ran the ball. Coach, I mean Coach Stoops is one of the best coaches in the SEC. You just judging them on the wrong scale. You can't judge them on the same scale as the Florida's and the Georgia's of the world, but shout out to those new head coaches, because the hardest thing to do is to start off with a win, because the only way your players buy in is if you got ones in the W column, so listen, for Coach Harson, Coach Beeman, Coach Hoffman, I'm very, very happy for those guys. They won, got their big win. I know it ain't the SEC play yet, but you got to build confidence for those big games like uh, Come on to schedule. Well, let's talk about a team there in the West that didn't
0: build a lot of confidence. And I know that's one uh LSU going to UCLA and losing. UCLA's looked good a few weeks in a row. Uh, what about Coach O there? BJ and Ben, uh national champions and one of the most unbelievable seasons we've ever seen two years ago. Last year, I again I, I think when we referenced 2020 in the the, the full COVID uh environment where You literally didn't know if you were going to play week to week. I think now uh, we've gone through at least two weekends of college football. We've gone through a lot of Major League Baseball season and NBA season. There's going to be cases that pop up, but I think the sport will continue. I mean, there were times last year where you literally said, we don't know if we're going to continue. Teams just said, that's it. We quit. We're not playing anymore. I think Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, a couple of teams are like, look, we just don't have enough. We're done. Uh, I don't think you're going to have that this year. So I throw kind of 2020 to the side. But 2021 was going to be a big kind of bounce back for LSU. Some guys that opted out were back, and right out of the shoot, you go to UCLA and just did not play very well.
1: Yeah, and I know they had a very difficult week. You know, had to go to what what Houston in practice with the hurricane, and uh, that's that's very very difficult to deal with, and you know try to focus on football with that going on. But when you look at the football side of things, they've been. You mentioned this earlier in the uh, in the show. They. They really didn't never control that game. I mean, there was never a stretch where you looked at LSU and thought, okay, they're pulling away, or okay, momentum is firmly on their side. Uh, Kayshawn Boutte is, is, is a star. Three more touchdown catches. I mean, this guy's playing fantasy football. Everybody else is playing football. But defensively, you need to be more consistent in the secondary. Offensively, you've got to have some rushing production. You didn't have much of that, and I think that LSU is still a team, when you look at them on your schedule, you know you're going to have a, a difficult time because of the talent and because of the ability, but if you look at this schedule, and granted, we're saying this you know, the first week of September, but was UCLA maybe the fifth or sixth or seventh most talented team they'll play? When you look at Alabama, when you look at Auburn, when you look at Ole Miss, who look really good on Monday night when you talk about uh, Texas A&M, when you talk about Florida, at least in terms of preseason expectations, these teams are a step in front of UCLA, and UCLA beat you by by, by, by double digits. So the way I look at it, week one especially, there's an old saying in football that you're never as bad as you looked or as good as you looked the week before. And I still think LSU can play with anybody on their schedule, maybe outside of Alabama. But, yeah, that was a disappointing performance for the Tigers.
2: Yeah, and I think sometimes you do get caught up, you know, you do get caught up looking looking ahead too much. I think LSU needs to always understand a team like UCLA, even though they're not the same brand, they're trying to figure out who they are. Chip Kelly was supposed to be the answer, and it hasn't really, it hasn't really taken shape. LSU, BJ, is never ever going to lack talent. And sometimes LSU might be. Most of the time, they're going to be more talented than the, than the teams they take the field with. Better talent teams don't mean you're going to win. A, you're going to win the game. They just put you in a better position because you got the most talent. UCLA is not more talented than LSU, but the, but the score doesn't the score doesn't show that because you start you I mean uh, LSU is starting to become a head scratcher. I mean think about it you got two new you got a new offensive coordinator, new B coordinator. you know you got you know you got Derrick Staind wearing the, you know the coveted number seven, all these things, but you got to go out there and make it happen. You can't just you can't live off who you used to be. Twenty nineteen is over, like it, it it's done. And I'm not saying they living back there, but that's what Coach O is living off of right now. Like Kevin, as you mentioned, you're not really gonna look at 2020. If 2021 starts looking like 2020, they're gonna start looking at 2020. Like, hey, who are we as a team? Because Coach O will always have that moniker. Of, is he a good coach, right? Or is he a, is he a good face for this for this team? Because no, because nobody he doesn't really have one side of the ball that he really gives his expertise to. He lets his coordinators go out there and get it done. But if you've never seen, but. If you've never seen LSU play, and you saw them on, if you saw them this weekend, you're like, "Who in the world is this is LSU?" It just didn't look like them. I, I think that UCLA is going to be a talented team in the Pac-12. I think if you if you a team like UCLA in the Pac-12, you get sick of hearing about the the big bad SEC because that's what UCLA represented this weekend. Is hey man, y'all are the Super Conference, right? Y'all just added Texas and Oklahoma. Can't nobody beat y'all. Well, we just beat y'all, and just with everybody going crazy over so. I just think that UCLA is playing for something different. LSU going to have to figure out who they are. Cause Auburn is good, from what I've seen. Alabama is still the standard. Texas A&M, Texas A&M got their head coach talking trash to Alabama. You know, Ole Miss can score with the best of them. Mississippi the state, I mean, who knows who they are. So I think the beach and Florida's coming to LSU. So it's not going to get any better for them. They're going to have to figure out who they are in a hurry because Coach oh. <laughs> was no such thing as patience in the SEC. Nope. you talk talking about people's shirt colors. You might not have a shirt to put on when you keep on tripping like
0: we that. We got a couple more keys, our storylines I want to get to. We'll take a break, come back, hit that. We're talking SEC football here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Wanted to keep looking here at some of the SEC storylines from this past weekend. Texas a and and Florida, two teams to keep an eye on uh, here. Kind of so-so debuts, kind of fiddled around with their opponents. Both ended up winning. Haynes King, new quarterback there. And I know uh, Dan Mullen didn't want to hear any talk about it, but do we possibly have a quarterback intriguing situation down the road? I know Alabama's in a couple of weeks, so Florida probably wants to go with as much experience as possible, Ben. But might there be some, uh, some quarterback controversy in a couple of weeks post-Alabama for Florida?
2: I think it is. I think it is. And I know that Emory Jones is a guy that's definitely very, very poised. I mean, I like the, I like the interview he did with Cole Keeble, the guy of the game, just understanding that he wasn't really that efficient after the first two drives. And the thing is, we care about excitement now. We care about, you know, people going crazy in the stands. And, you know, Anthony Richardson, Mr. AR-15, 6'4", 240 pounds. You cannot coach speed. You cannot coach athleticism, B.J. and Kevin. And he has a ton of both problem is he don't throw the football that well. So I think that if you're Emory Jones, you want to try to go out there and start being more efficient. I don't like to use the word controversy. I just think it's a good problem to have. you got two guys that's good enough to go out there and get it. And a lot of people are saying maybe this is why Emory Jones hasn't played this long. He's been in college four years. Like this is his fourth year at Florida. This is his first time starting. So I think for me, uh, Emory Jones is going to have to grow up really fast because, once again, nobody's going to really judge him on FAU or USF, those big bad Crimson Tide—they come into Florida on the third game of the year. You kind of kind of realize what type of player he is. But I don't think it's controversial. I just think that look—you got a team that's good. I mean, Florida only gave up 14 points in the end of the game because of the penalties by the defense. But yeah, B, uh, BJ, I, I always say this—the coach used to say this: your biggest competition should come from inside your position group. And for Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson, the kid is talented. He's young. He's hungry. And But I don't think it's a controversy, but we will know a lot more about Emory Jones coming out of Alabama because if they pull you an Alabama game, ain't going to be no putting you back in after the Crimson Tide go back on.
1: Yeah, and I, I know that's the big storyline, and understandably so. I think both guys are talented, but I think Florida should be really impressed with what they did defensively. And you got a couple of late scores from from FAU, but for the most part you had a shutout in that game when your starters were in and when you were playing kind of – at, at, at your highest level, you were, you, you were shutting out a decent uh, G5 opponent, if not a good G5 opponent. And we talked about the rushing yards earlier in the show. Now, I know Richardson was a big part of that. He had a couple of huge runs. But you had 400 yards rushing, 400 yards rushing. And I know there are going to be times where Florida has to throw the football. You're replacing, of course, Pitts and Grimes and Tony in addition to Trask. There are going to be some times where you have to have – you know, a drive that's led by the passing game. But I think both quarterbacks are capable of that. But once you move past what is the leading storyline right now around Florida, this, this quarterback depth chart, I think you have a team that's really good defensively and can really run the football. And I think Florida can win a lot of games doing that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 always impressed, but I, I said going into the season, Florida's going to have to not just want to run the football; they're going to have to make it a point to get it done. They've been talking about running the football since Dan Mullen has gotten there, and they've gotten the they've gotten away with it uh, these last three years. But when you when you can run the football, it makes life so much easier because it speeds the games up, and you them and you controlling the the line of scrimmage. For for Florida, it's always going to be the same thing who's ever at the quarterback position with Florida is always going to be under more scrutiny than they should get, always should get more praise than they should get, and a lot more criticism. But Emory Jones did not make things good for himself, especially coming from my mother. All I got this weekend was, I don't like him, I don't like him, I don't like him. You know who else my mama didn't like? Felipe. So it's hard to please, you know, old mama troop in this household. But I just think that for me, B.J., running the football, because the narrative was running the football, defense, because – Look, I know that uh, Georgia has the best defensive line. I know that Alabama's lifestyle and so is Clemson. Watch out for that Florida defense. They're going to have to play elite for Florida to try to have the postseason aspirations. Well,
1: uh, and and finally with the Gators, I'll just add this, Kevin. This would have been crazy to say a year ago. Florida leads the nation in rushing. After one game, no, Florida is number one, not in the top five, not – Florida is number one in the country in rushing. You can win a lot of games playing great defense and running the ball. And, again, what
0: we saw with uh, with week one, I want to get this in here, uh, BJ, ben, not to look too far ahead, but uh, what we saw in week one, it sets up for two, I think, pretty interesting games in week two in college football. One is a conference game of the SEC and one is not. You have Mississippi State, who did not look good against Louisiana Tech. I actually had to pull some rabbits out to get that dub. They go to NC State, which looked about – like the best thing the ACC had uh, this past weekend uh, from a consistency standpoint. Then you have a conference game, Kentucky versus Missouri, which a lot of people say, ah, it's Kentucky Missouri. I think that's an interesting game in week two to kind of see who's for real in the east to kind of say, hey, maybe we could push Florida. I don't think anybody with what we saw Saturday is going to push Georgia. But who's that team that could push Florida for number two? We heard a lot about Kentucky. I think Missouri kind of fell under the radar a little bit, but I think that's a very interesting week two game uh, between the Wildcats there.
1: And I think it's a big test for uh, for Will Levis, who you talked about, Ben, because if you can have a consistent downfield passing attack for Kentucky with the running backs that you have, the offensive line, the play along the front seven, that's a pretty complete team. You know, Missouri... I. I do agree with you, Kevin. We're kind of waiting and seeing here with Missouri because the Tigers had sort of a just a just a kind of an average week in terms of the stats and all like that. I think they beat Central Michigan 34 to 24. So it wasn't really a, a win that made a lot of headlines. But yeah, those are some interesting games. I think NC State is really good. I think NC State is really good. And if Mississippi State has another kind of sluggish start, they're going to be in trouble. But who is that number three, if you want to say that, in the SEC East after after Georgia? And then I still think Florida by a pretty substantial margin. But who is that number three? We'll find out this weekend.
2: Well, I mean, Coach Eli Drinkwich, I mean, he, I think he does a really, really good job at Mizzou. I think Coach Stoops does a really, really good job at Kentucky. The one thing, Kentucky, BJ, you never have to worry about is defense. They're going to have two things. They're going to have defense. They're going to have offensive line. If they got a passer, to go along with that running game and that defense, they gonna be a problem. And not just in the east, but whoever their crossover rivals are. And the thing about Mizzou is, I mean, it's always it's always a battle for just maintaining some level, you know, of uh, authenticity in the sense because people don't know what Mizzou is. Mizzou had that one good year, right? They went to the SC championship game. Long, long time away from that. But yeah, we're gonna learn a lot about it. Heaven I remember when I played in the SEC, you would always start your SEC, play the third game, but yeah, now these guys are doing it week two. And you're gonna learn a lot about yourself, regardless of who it is. But I do think that uh, Kentucky and Mizzou gonna end up being a better game than people giving credit for, because it might it, they might light up that freaking scoreboard because you got two offenses that can definitely uh, put up some points.
0: That's a quick look at the SEC from the weekend that was. We'll come back with more. Put a wrap on that. Get you ready for Braves and uh, the Nationals. Things getting tight though in the East. We'll look at that next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out on this Tuesday. Kevin B.J. and Ben Braves tonight starting a three-gamer with the Washington Nationals. Things getting tight, though, in the National League. East Braves up just a game and a half over the Philadelphia Phillies. So Nationals down tied for last place with the Marlins. Got him with uh, some wins here against the Nationals and Marlins over the next six days uh, between those two teams. Uh, B.J. and Ben, one thing that did happen in the midst of all the college football uh, that was happening over the weekend, Braves extended Charlie Morton another season uh, with an option year after that. So uh, a guy that's been pitching really well. And I know people are like, well, so they had money to give to Charlie Morton but not Freddie Freeman. I, I still think Freddie Freeman's fine. He'll get his, but uh, the Braves making that move over the weekend.
1: And I think that's a good move. But, yeah, you're right. Got to start winning some of these games. Uh, and it's not that you haven't been, but the Phillies have been red hot. I think they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 uh, after that struggle with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, got to keep pace and hopefully build on that lead uh, by playing some good baseball and beating teams you're better than. You're better than the Nats. And you have Max Fried going tonight. Uh, got an ERA around 3-5. So, Max has been great the second half of the year. Love the lineup. You know, power bats all the way through. But need to win these games against teams you're better than, and see if you can get this lead back up to two or three or four or more games.
2: Give a lot of credit to the NL East, Kevin. You said it's going to come down to maybe the last series or the last games of the year. People think yeah, there's a lot of games in this uh, in, a, in, a, in a regular season, yeah, but it still comes down to the last games. Give the NL leads. We knew it was going to be very, very competitive. Everybody, you know, you uh, You go from chasing the Mets, chasing the Phillies. Now you don't want being chased. Can the, do, do the Braves got staying power? Because we understand that it's not it's, that. These teams are not going to go away quietly, but I I do agree, BJ. Hopefully, you know, Braves can stick their winning ways. It's all about having a cushion. And right now, I mean, everybody should be playing very, very nervous. The NL East, man, it is very, very competitive.
0: Absolutely. So again, Braves coming up uh, in just a little bit here. When we are done uh, starting that six gamer with the uh, the Nationals and the Marlins. So I know we got caught up in uh, in college football as we should uh, for the weekend. But uh, the Braves don't need to get caught up in college football. They need to get caught up in winning a few games here uh, down the stretch. BJ, as you said, a game and a half. That's a bad weekend away from falling into second place.
1: And the lineup tonight, you have Solaire in there in the two hole. You have uh, Adam Duval hitting fifth. I mean. The options that you've given yourself with those trade deadline moves, going back uh, going back a month or so, just just really impressive. And I think the lineup will score. The keys have been: can you get that starting pitching effort? For the most part, you have. And then, what happens if you have a? one or two or three run lead late is it going to get interesting so keep an eye on that but yeah got to beat the Nationals got to beat the Marlins.
0: I certainly do and we'll have that for you coming up here in just a little bit. We appreciate Brooks Austin joining us here at Dogs Daily on SI talking Georgia and Clemson Rich Styles so of the Back Nine Boys joined us here on the program as well. If you missed any portion of the show ESPNCoastal.com Spotify, Apple Podcasts go to our YouTube page at ESPN Coastal there on YouTube and get a podcasted version of the show each and every day. We'll see you tomorrow Wednesday edition of 3 and Out Southern Pigs. Radio Network.